0: Welcome to episode 150 of A Pint with Shawnee B. This is a sad one today. I uh, I always wondered what would happen when somebody who I had interviewed for the series passed away, and that has happened since you were last with us. I'm here with the Don today. Hi. How are you?
1: Morris, right. getting by.
0: As those of you who are regular listeners of the show these days know, the Don is doing a top 20 countdown of the best episodes over the past four years and the episode I think it's fair to say she would have had at number one which would have been announced sometime later in the year was with an artist by the name of Pete Dunn and Pete Dunn um, last week passed away he died of uh, cancer in London Pete married his sweetheart Julie Kelly uh, a week before he died and his podcast for me was one of the highlights of the whole project. Um, He was a man who I literally met in his flat 10 minutes before we pressed play. Uh, We didn't know each other. We were introduced by my sister and we hit it off uh, really well. It's fair to say he's led the most amazing life and he has garnered the most amazing wisdom on his journey. And boy, it was a mad journey. eh?
1: Yeah. So I I did pick the top 20 and Sometimes they haven't been in order. Like if there's been one that's particularly poignant for the week that's in it, I'll move them around. But there was never any doubt number one was going to be Pete done because it's not, that that is the favourite by a country mile. It's the most entertaining podcast. It's a mad life story. But Pete's, like, he it's also just lovely. There's a wit there. There's a kindness and a generosity there. And also this, I mean, granted, he had a fantastic life story to work of, but aside from it, he was a wonderful artist. So aside from his art and his music... He was a story weaver. Mm. So the way that the stories are told are like it's quite a gift to be invited in. Like I didn't know Pete that well, but he was a really, really special person. He was a lovely man. So I'm kind of sorry we didn't get to putting that to number one. But I think this week is the week to Mm. put forward Pete's podcast.
0: Pete also was born and brought up literally. We're doing this podcast in a flat in the Gasworks apartment complex in Ringsend end in dublin pete was born literally outside that window those brown houses that we're looking at were
1: yeah we're in lockdown uh in pete's childhood place
0: yeah and he, t- he tells some amazing stories about what it was like growing up here this is a an area of dublin that has been kind of gentrified over the last 10 20 years it was very working class. His, um pete's mother died early and he was his father he talks about a lot on the podcast it was in the iron and steel business and Pete used to, you know, gallivant around all of this area when there was nothing but garages and manufacturing firms and almost reminiscent of sort of Yorkshire. It's a bit Coronation Streetish, isn't it?
1: Yeah, actually. didn't think that. But yeah.
0: If you go online to net, you'll be able to see and hopefully buy some of his art. I think his art is exceptional in terms of it's a, it's a commentary on all the things that he believed was going wrong. Yeah. yeah, in the
1: world. I also think I I like his art. Aside from, I like what he's about. I know what what he was at. Aside from that, I just quite like Pete. There's just no bullshit there. It's not up itself. Yeah. it is what it is, and yet it's everything is perfect. It's exquisite. Everything is done well, but there's no bollocks veneer to it. Mm-hmm. It's just it's saying it as it is.
0: He's some lovely work. I uh, urge you to go to the to the website, uh, and he, you know he just had this as as the Don said, amazing. Some stories on here that the other night we were just sitting in saying we were going to, you know, bump him up to this episode. And and we kind of both were laughing our heads off, regaling some of the stories he told. The guy went off to hitchhike from London to Afghanistan in 1977 and he proceeded to spend 10 years walking around India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Nepal with a blanket and a pair of flip-flops is a good flip-flop stuff <laughs> yeah. and he talks like about and it's just intriguing as well with all that's going on with coronavirus which we come to it's intriguing that he spent so much of his life believing even till the end I'd say that you don't need too much the universe will provide for you and he spent this whole part of his life dreadlocked and almost like a sadhu out in India as he said, you know, you wait for the universe to provide, and he has some lovely stories about mm-hmm. Indian families, you know, taking him in, giving him food, and play, he'd be playing music and stuff. It's just amazing. Do
1: you know what, it's only as we're talking that you know what I think the beauty is with Pete. Like, there's no flies in him. Like, he's good yeah. crack. He's he's faster than everybody else. You get there, there's no flies, but there is also not this horrible bitter cynicism. No, which I can <laughs> tend to have a bit of, but like. Pete actually came to a poetry reading where I was reading poetry. It's so funnier. nice to to come along as and well. And it was yeah. really nice. And I remember going to go, oh, I feel like a dickhead now. Because yeah, it's you, like, your kids my are kids there. are there and they're dressed up and it's it's a nice thing and like, I was very honoured to be there. So of course I was going to go along. But I remember for a moment going, oh, are they coming? Oh, I feel like a dickhead now. This is a bit wanky. like." But I did, like he's, didn't, no, he'd never have made to. it. Like, he'd have a laugh about people who are, need to cop on. But like he there was never an unkindness there. it would be like, yeah, fucking good for you. Go on. Mm. Well done, and there was there's a huge kindness there. The cynicism wasn't there, even though we could see through everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd say actually, Pete's up if there is an afterlife, and I'm not sure either he or I agree that there is. But if there is something, he'd be up there going, "I'm fucking glad not to be down there with all you fucking <laughs> ages at the moment." You know, he's he's a someone who I think you know, moving into the coronavirus and taking sort of Pete's wisdom on on how he felt where the world needed to move, we'll have. You know, this disease is is a perfect almost opportunity to reinvent humanity.
1: Yeah, Pete would have been the kind of person that you really want him to like. Even I don't tend to really give a shit what people think, but somebody like him, like, I'd want him to think highly of me, and I'd really take it serious if I felt he didn't warm to you. What's that about? You need to have a look at yourself because you take it seriously coming from him. And then, like, we've chatted a bit about what could come out of this pandemic, and the world surely can't be the same capitalism has taken a big knock and the only way to protect ourselves is to accept that we all are our community like it or fucking not you're taking part in society chats about universal basic income are, are happening in a serious way amongst people that wouldn't usually entertain that so there is that like not to bright side it but there is that wonder of when you set aside the anxiety what kind of things might change it's just been an exercise in socialism for the past two weeks schools have been closed and. I mean, it's a small thing, but suddenly the school books that... Like, I've had years where it's been really hard to afford them. And suddenly, oh yeah, by the way, CJ Fallon and all the big names that do old school books, that's all online for free because it's, it's, it's unprecedented, and we just all have to manage. And the way we all manage when it's unprecedented seems to be socialism. It seems to be all of these things that shouldn't have been expensive and shouldn't have been a barrier to people who are having a hard time getting there were suddenly all made available as they were basic necessities. Mm. Schoolwork is a basic necessity. Social welfare has been made more available because we're in an emergency. I'm not jumping for glee about where we're at, but I am curious about where we'll go after this. I also think that we'll be left with, there will be, not just the national psyche, but the global psyche, there will be this anxiety, there'll be trauma, because there is a trauma happening and people get through it and they'll process that in a year or two. But there will also be a fear, like this thing wasn't airborne as such, but yeah. the next thing could be. Mm. And I think people will live like that. And that's something we're going to have to deal with, that people are going to be deeply damaged by it. The possibly problematic psyche that we have now, which is somewhat arrogant, that we're completely independent. We have internet, we have this, we have that. We don't need anybody else. We don't live in a community that's been smashed for us, mm. like it or not. So it's interesting to see where we go. Like, I've been quite anxious over the past few days and I've not been having a great time. But, but I think it's, like, Pete's interview is a poignant one to listen to now and think, okay, we we get through how we get through now. But when we start rebuilding, where do we want to be coming from when we rebuild that? I'd like to think of people like Pete and take that bravery into kindness and see what happens when we all muddled through and what things we're not willing to let go of because it's going to be more difficult for governments to take things away that they've allowed us now and say oh sorry yeah that's taken away now and even just in terms of the environment to suddenly go "Oh, you know, back to business as usual Mm. because business as usual we knew was broken it was just it seemed like so insurmountable oh we couldn't possibly do that we know it's killing the planet but we couldn't possibly stop flying everywhere we couldn't possibly give people homes to live in we know that's just not going to work that would break the system well the system has never been fractured So we do have a responsibility to just look after ourselves for the moment, but then really think about that when it's being put back together. Are we okay with being put back together the way it was? Mm. Are we okay with the temporary emergency measures that we've been crying out for years? Are we okay with them being taken away? And what are we going to do to put the world back together in a different way?
0: Mm. But also from a planetary point of view, things like, are we okay with 5,000 kids in African countries a day dying of malaria, HIV, starvation, you know, as a planet, we kind of go, yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? We have all the food, we just can't get. Like the reason those people are dying is because we can't get the food too. them. Not no, it's because we don't, we don't give
1: a shit. The reason people are dying, let's, let's not, it's not that we don't give a shit. Let's be quite clear. It's not that we can't do it. The reason people are dying and starvation is still an issue and malaria, that's because we don't care enough. It, we're somewhat immune to it; it doesn't impact us personally. And we've talked around this no, kind of no matter how lefty or centrist your circle is. Everyone has still gone, yeah, I know, I suppose it's just an... Im- we forget about them and we care, but we become immune to it. We get used to seeing the kids on the ads with the flies in their faces. But now it's been hit where we, we've we always kind of... If you're from a Western country, you always kind of feel somewhat safe and go, that kind of shit doesn't happen to people like us. It's desperate that it happens them. It's not that I don't care, but what can you do? And now that it's, it, we're seeing the possibility of it happening to us, we go, well, we have to do something. And it's amazing how we can pull the finger out of the arse for humanity when humanity is white and Western. mm mm-hmm. And so I hope that, that that affects people's compassion. And I also hope that it shakes the cognitive dissonance that people have been living with.
0: Mm. And the, the thing that's brought the world to its knees is, is, we were just saying last night, it's not even alive. It's a protein. A, a bacterium is alive. Yeah. A virus is not alive. It's a protein wrapped in a, in a bit of fat. And it's the most microscopic thing that can bring down General Motors, Donald Trump, The entire Irish economy, the global economy, the the,
1: butterfly flaps its wings. The butterfly
0: flaps its wings, I know, and and the the onset of it has been intriguing as well because it's one way of looking at it is almost like this climate change on steroids. So, you know, we're sitting here in nineteen ninety six, i.e., January two thousand and twenty, and everyone's going on about you know climate change, and now we're into March and it's two thousand and twenty, and climate change is staring us in the face and we still have done nothing and you know it's almost like i hope this gives impetus to for example if you take it home to ireland our hospital system as we mentioned in the last podcast is creaking at the seams we run hospitals at 90 percent capacity just for normal day-to-day which doesn't allow us the flexibility to to um, react
1: that's kind of the case in most countries it's specifically bad here but mm. just to be clear the social distancing that all that that's not we're all going to get it eventually it's a flat in the curve thing and it's because health services cannot deal with that many patients in icu and then the medical professionals getting sick as well it's literally just that amount at one time that's all it is it's delay it so that health services can cope the Irish health service has been shamefully creaking it seems for 20 years. Mm. So, and that's one of those things. I mean, the last election, it seems so long ago, but it was only about a month before the schools closed down if even, And there was homelessness, which by the way, where the fuck do they go on their lockdown to? Now it's a case of you have to, because simple as it's like ideology goes out the window. We live in a community. There's nothing you can do about that. And either you provide for that, the most vulnerable in the community are safe or they will infect you.
2: Mm. Yeah, so it's I mean, interesting to
1: see where that goes. But I mean, that's what happened with TB. People from a certain demographic realised, okay, well, we can be as safe and as sanitary in our own homes as we like, but that doesn't us all place. So if two miles away there's a fucking slum mm. where there's not running water, where mm. there's not all of those things, that's going to affect the fact that we, at its time we didn't have anything for TB except sit in a well-lit room. Mm. So... It's not that people suddenly gave a shit. It was a case of we live as a community and if we create slums that's going to negatively impact us in terms of health. And we've been somewhat arrogant because we have vaccines, although they've been knocked by the anti-vaxxers. I'd be very interested to see how fucking mouthy the anti-vaxxers are next year. Yeah,
0: I agree. And also, you know, it puts things like, you know, my business, the advertising business, selling things, buying expensive clothes, more than you need, greed mo making millions in the stock exchange, flying all over the world. It, it puts all of those things into this kind of weird perspective where I think I think in like ten years' time it's going to be a bit, you know, 911-ish. It's going to be it's going to be like there's a time before that and there was a time after it. In many respects it's a bit like capitalism is just driving itself into a wall at a hundred yeah. miles an hour. And what is going to emerge, I don't know. Clearly it will be some form of market economics. But for example, those overseas listeners may not know, but Ireland has a reputation as being a sort of a tax haven for massive US corporations, and the EU got on our case and wrapped us on the knuckles, or wrapped Apple on the knuckles, one of our big employers, about ten years ago, giving them a, a I think a seven billion, a seven or seven or thirteen billion dollar tax fine, which the Irish government is. Appealing.
1: Yeah, they were appealing. Not Apple. Apple. No, 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 no. So yeah. the, the
0: money's all in escrow. It's, it's been given back to Ireland, but we're going, oh, no, 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 leave it's, Apple it's, alone. Which is, it's I, I, like a
1: hilarious kind of Mrs. Doyle. I, no, I won't. I won't. You will yeah. not pay for that. No, you won't. On, no, I won't on, have it.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, Apple are one of the richest cash-rich yeah. companies. How much be, did but, you say
1: they had in reserve?
0: They have over 100 billion. Okay, so they were... Seven of that was that they had to pay Ireland, yeah. right? So I would even say Tim Cook is going, yeah, Ireland, you can have it, just shut it all down. It's a waste of time, courts time, everyone's time. We got what we need out of you. So they have all this money. I think when Steve Jobs died, it was like, at least I'm leaving lots of money in the kitty in case you guys don't come up with any more amazing ideas, which they kind of haven't.
1: Mm. Yeah. But, like, but then that money could be pushed into the... Yeah, but like for, for the, the Irish corporate perspective, it's a case of, we've been living off this low corporate tax rate and if the international companies start seeing this, then we no longer are attracted to them and they can, they can take it all away. They made us rich. We can, they can take it all away. And that's the kind of, there's one stream of thought that's very much that. But now, like everyone's in the shit now. Now would be the time to take the fucking money that's sitting there that nobody has, like it's just sitting there in an yeah. account.
0: Things need to be put into perspective. It's not all about consumption. It's not all about buying. as Again, back to Pete This would be right up his in his baby week. It's about taking what you need most, and it's about taxing people who are making millions, not taking money off them, just getting them to pay their fair share. As if mm. I remember meeting a guy once who said his ambition might was to make a billion dollars. For fuck's sake! I met him, but like as long as he pays his tax, and yeah. and, and yeah, you know, things like a uh, universal basic income is starting to come up on the table now. Things like technology are going to continue at pace, so we're going to have robot overlords yeah. and stuff like that. So how do we play that now? In hindsight, but I, with like this? we
1: had this chat recently, but well, before all of this broke out. Uh, talking about the fact is that it's coming where people are going to become somewhat redundant and computers are going to take over. And so capitalism needs to, regardless of whether we like it as an ideology, capitalism is coming to a crashing halt anyway, because things have changed to the point where there's no turning back. And now I think, putting corporations aside, just everyday people, working class people, middle class people, are at the moment in lockdown. And we've had an exercise for the past couple of weeks where... We're told, "Don't panic buy." It's not a lockdown; it is a lockdown. Well, there's these rules. Don't panic buy. There's going to be enough. That is an exercise in people who, no matter how privileged or not, they've been have have grown up in a capitalist society. They have themselves or their families to take care of, but they've grown up with that mentality, with advertising constantly at them. Will I have enough? Even though it's a really ugly side, we have seen people stocking up, filling their trolleys. Mm-hmm. But it is this intrinsic primitive fear of providing. That's been somewhat co-opted by the society we live in, ugly as it is. I think maybe it's been a crash course because we then peers shame each other and say, "Stop doing that." People who don't have, to can't afford to stop by this emergency, you can't do that. So it's been like a crash course in looking at. It's very easy to point at the billionaires, but in actually looking at our own greed, mm. um, yes, and not just greed as a sin, but greed as a fear and it's the way we've been brought up is that you know save your money have this and like i don't mean this as people bad you should be better i mean i don't think very many people have the courage and the zenness to kind of go it'll be all right i'll take what i need which is the opposite of greed and whether it's at a corporate level when you're talking about billions or whether it's just going to the supermarket and taking the two slice pounds or the one we've grown up with this infectious thing and maybe we'll listen back to this in two years and think oh fucking ages. But still, Mm -hmm. it feels like there's there's this big change. And even like on the macro level, yeah, but even on the micro level of people having to decide, I could stock up my trolley today. I could fill my house because you never know. Just things are, the the supermarkets might be empty and people going, that's greedy. You don't need that. We are a community, which is the opposite of how we've been living, certainly for the past 20 or 30 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious as to how much of that sticks and when we rebuild, how much of that influences it. And how much is just going to be overcome by trauma. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, how has the whole um, self isolating thing been going for you guys? Have you got any tips for being at home with two little ankle biters and a mother?
1: I mean, I haven't been all that isolated, as you know, Sean. Sure. So, no. I'm, yeah, it's, it's been okay. I've been.
0: One of the things I did, the greatest, and this is a tip for anyone listening most people in their house have got a clock in their kitchen or in their living room or somewhere that's like a big circular shit thing they got from Ikea key like, do know what a
1: clock is <laughs>
0: no but like one of those big clocks yeah the big of, ticky
1: ticky ones yeah and you put, a, you put a
0: battery in the back and it tick tocks away all through the day I, I was sitting in the front room reading for days watching TV and then I just said I, you know, I don't need time means nothing now I mean yeah you're supposed to get up when it's bright and go to bed when it's dark but like
1: mm, yeah. so
0: I took this off the wall put it in the back room in our little isolation room and took um the battery out and it's been like a godsend seriously take mm. the clocks off Yeah this the is wall. really
1: funny because we were on the phone and you said it to me and I was I, I kind of thought yeah that's really cool it's, I, I see where he's going with that but, I, but also is he a bit jittery on the phone mm. how long has been like this Was what was going through my head on like the Thursday morning like last week and I was like Am I Great. turning into Colonel I was like no he's right like it's zen but it's a bit too zen for this hour for Sean <laughs> um, does he be well because like you do have that touch of anxiety you have that tendency and you don't notice it until like Six months after the event, yeah, and know. I stand back and go, "Oh shit, here we go." And I was like, he, "No, he's dead right, but still, is he all right?" And then I arrived over, and you were like, "Take your shoes off, take your clothes off," and I was like, "Okay." And then it, was, uh, it <laughs> well, did not, not go, in that way. No, like not none that way. It didn't go the way I expected. I was like, "All right, yeah. moisten
0: yourself with dead <laughs> <laughs> No, but
1: again, it's a good idea, and particular, like it's a good yeah, well, idea. did not like, say it that
0: panicked. I just no,
1: what there it. was, a, there was a hint of panic <laughs> of it. I will be honest. Bang To panic. the point where like. There was no lighthearted, like, you'd usually say in a sing-song voice, you know what I think? I think we should do this. No, it was said really seriously. It was almost like a role-play thing. And I was like, right, okay, is this what gets you fair enough? Yes. <laughs> it just wasn't that.
0: But, like, I think the thing, I mean, I'm, I'm not really sorry, that point, scared of it. My you know, point was the
1: TikTok. That's, you yeah. came up with the clock thing at the time. And once I realized that you were, in fact, saying, a bit loopy from not going outside the door, but, you're like, you were around, I kind of thought it was interesting the time of the year as well, because it's, like, we, last night the clock sent forward. So that's where we're at, uh, sunwise. But like, if you don't have anywhere to be, there's no reason to know exactly what time it is. I think it's like I'm always conscious of what's healthy mentally, and it's extremely uh, unhelpful and it's a concern when you start losing track of time and days. It's not good for us um, mentally. Biologically, we are wired not to know what t- times a concept. We're, like we are wired to have our circadian rhythm and to go, oh, it's bright. Oh, that this feels like around the time I get up at. This feels like around the time that I are out in bed for half an hour having a cup of tea. You no, know, it feels like that late sun, oh okay, it's like you might have a little snack that it's afternoon. Yeah. That's I think that's quite healthy and there's nothing because you know where to be. I think that's that's probably when you think about how we're wired, society's moved a lot faster than evolution. That's actually just living by your circadian rhythm, mm. but not constantly being on this adrenaline pedal of what time is it now, what time is it now, what time is it now.
0: And in that regard, I think the other thing that's worth doing is ignoring the news. Or not ignoring it, but not watching it 24 hours a day. Yeah, yeah. The news bulletins are the same at one, six, and nine, give or take. Nine is probably a better one because you get the updates from around the world. But literally, it's the same news. Mm -hmm. It's like we know what the issue is, we know it's spreading, we know we've got to stop spreading it, we know we've got to wash our hands, not cough all over each other. And then the other thing is how many deaths there are. You know, you look at what's happening in Italy and Spain, you go, fuck, you know, and it's. it's, um, you know, you, I, we were having a chat last night about your anxiety and I was going like, you're, you're perfectly normal being anxious at this time. Yeah. It's an anxious time for the entire planet.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's quite healthy. I, like, I tend to be very all or nothing and I can deal with extremely high, si- high stress situations where I should lose my shit. Yeah, you could good I, like I'm, Yeah, but at the moment I have this thing where it's ongoing and there's nothing specific I'm scared of. Like, yeah, I'm worried if my mum catches it or if you catch it. Or, I was extremely worried about lockdown before it happened and here we are. Um, but I worry about the, the fact that I'm trying to hold it together and but my routines are really important to me. My routines have been that the week is broken up in certain ways and I, I don't live in the same house all the time and that really shortens the week and I don't do well with surprises and I don't do well with routine not working. And I understand that the government has had to make certain choices where they don't tell you the whole truth at a time and they've made the best choice based on behavioural analysis and what's going to be useful, what's going to make people panic mm. and and they have to be aware of civil unrest and things like that so I, I totally understand that but I'm somebody who I'm much better off if I get absolutely all the facts and I get to work them out like a little puzzle Yeah. but unfortunately for me, life doesn't work that way and frequently I've had to learn, right, there's nothing wrong with you it's just that you're used to understanding everything and you can't you can't just go with the flow, you, you understand things and you map things out and in this case I can't and I also can't do my fight or flight thing where on the one hand I just say right it is what it is, I don't give a shit, it's fine because I couldn't give a shit if something happens to me but I also have to, like, well this is going to be a prolonged thing and I have to make intelligent choices in terms of health and safety I also have to make sure my children are still educated I also have to make sure that they are mentally okay, I have to make sure that I don't frighten the shit out of them but that they're not ignorant of what's happening and meanwhile I have to be honest with them that because they know, like, I, I would struggle with my mental health. And and so it's finding that balance. A lot of that is invo- it does involve sometimes taking it out, like we did yesterday. Like, let's just take out all the things that are getting to me. Look at them. Some of them are worst case scenario stuff. And I find it really unhelpful when people say, oh, that's not going to happen. It's not healthy. There's nothing you can do about that. So just don't think about it. That is like, if ever you're talking to someone who has anxiety, just shut the fuck up if you're going to say that. It's not helpful. It's not ever helpful to say, just don't think about it. Oh, have you tried calming down? Fuck off. What is helpful? what is helpful is to take out all those eventualities. And some of them are going to be really high in the sky, over the top. And then you look at them and go, that's highly unlikely. If it were to happen, I'd probably do this or I'd go at it that way. But look, it's a highly unlikely. And when you've taken out all of those things, you say, okay, I've looked at those. They're not helpful for me to keep out. Now. I'm going to put them back away in the box, pack them away. Then you carry on. And you may need to take them out every couple of days. And that's perfectly healthy, healthy and normal. It's perfectly healthy to have a bit of a cry. Even if you, you feel very lucky and how dare I, they're strange times. And they, like I think this applies to anxiety even outside this situation, but it's perfectly natural in this situation. We have some control, but realistically, we don't have a huge amount of control. And we don't have any solid answers and our routines are upset and we are just animals at the end. We, we think we're very sophisticated. We're animals. Then there's a lot of people who are stuck at home with people that they're not used to spending a huge amount of time with. And that's difficult. So we do have to decide like what works for us. And sometimes like, I think it's helpful to follow the news, but it's not. It's helpful to decide I'm going to follow it to the point where I don't want to come off Facebook because there's lots of chit-chat going on there and it kind of keeps me sane. So I'm unlikely to miss anything important. I might not watch the news, news every night. Most nights I aim to watch the 9 o'clock. But if there's something else or I'm busy, I certainly won't strain myself to find it. And that's a big change from me constantly listening to it all the time, having it in the background all the time. Mm. It's just not helpful. It's not healthy. Taking the clock off the wall. It's not helpful for it to be there. And I get that that's going to be different for other people. Mm. But it's looking at where we're at now. What do you need? And sometimes it will come up and bite you in the arse and take over. And that's fine. it might be part of your coping is to have a little fucking meltdown for an hour and have a cry and take out all the worst case scenario shit. Look at it and then go, "Well, look, We'll deal with that when it comes. It's not really likely to. But then some of the bad things that we're worrying about do come. And at least when they do come, we go, mm, well, it's not an utter shock because I did toy with this eventuality two weeks ago. Right? We are where we are.
0: I think there's a, a way of looking at this for everyone who's like locked in their home in, in the sense that you're doing your bit. And if everyone does their bit, we should pull through it. So there's a lot of ourselves out who were, Sorry, a small number of ourselves who are out there, not being our, being ourselves there in every country in the world probably. But the way I think to look at it is not to not to really worry about things like what it's going to be like in july or august or will we ever get through this worrying about not catching it is the most important and that applies much more so for people in the health service and all that sort of stuff who are the ones who are catching it at a rate of 25 percent of all new well, and your infections and, and 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 try and just to sort of get through your week and your mm. and and your and your as you say your routines. Yeah, and your but chores. even
1: as you say that, you've always had this thing. You always have to have your plan C. Yeah. And sometimes you tell people what your plan B, your plan C is. I'm like, I see them look at you going, "Oh, for fuck's sake, he's also said." And then they look at me and go, "You need to talk him out of his plan C." It's fucking ridiculous. Mm. And like people don't seem to grasp, your plan B is oh, you don't plan for plan B to happen. Plan mm-hmm. B is just look if it all goes tits up. I can always do this. And plan C is like further afield and mm-hmm. people lose their shit and gonna go, Oh, has lost the fucking plot. <laughs> but have you heard? It's felt you have to talk about this. Like he's your problem and I'm like, it's it's fucking grand. But I understand that thing of for some people it works differently, but we need to look at the plan B and the plan mm-hmm. C and really take it out and go, This is the big bad monster under the bed and go, Okay, I see you. It's realistically not likely to happen. And if it did, here's how I'd go about it. So i it's not this terrible faceless entity that's kind of following you around because when you're swatting that away and I find that I am swatting that kind of stuff away during the week because I'm very conscious that it's not normal for the kids and they've kind of held up really well but I'm consistently watching for them so there's not not really any space for my mental health stuff which can be precarious at best Mm. so I'm doing the kind of swatting away thing I haven't got time to stop and sit in my feelings because I really don't know what's there but then it does catch up for me and go Jesus I didn't realize like I've had moments through the week where I've gone I'm in really good form, I'm in a good mood, I'm laughing and joking with kids, but I find myself like I'm really sick in my stomach and I, like my body is telling me I'm anxious and i got to go, right, okay, I've obviously shoved that aside because I have to be mommy now. So I think it's really important not to Pollyanna to, and to say, these are the eventualities because if you don't look at them, they're following you around, they're weighing on you, they are the tightness in your chest mm-hmm. and the sick stomach and the incline to be shaky and noise and skin too much for you that's the stuff that you're batting away and saying, well, there's not, nothing you can do about it, that's not healthy. I think it actually really is healthy to take the chest out from beneath the bed, have a look at it, have a look at the monsters, yeah. and go, unlikely, if, if it did happen, if your husband got hit by a bus, unlikely, but here's what you would do, will have health insurance or have life insurance. And then you say, I'm not going to dwell on that. I've had a look at it, that's okay. And you put it away.
0: But- I mean, we, we, we have to accept that Death is coming in large numbers. I, I apart from Pete Dunn, my uncle Terence passed away this week, age eighty six. He was my dad's brother. He was my godfather and uh, really great guy. Um, his son Kevin is a great friend of mine, and, and you know that family haven't been able to. Kevin wasn't able to able to see his dad because mm. he he didn't have c- coronavirus, but he you know he got an infection in hospital and yeah. didn't come out. It's not a proper funeral. My dad can't go to the funeral, and you know his dad and Terence were, were great pals. Mourning is part of our psyche and how we mourn, and we have.
1: Mm. Well, it's long been said that the Irish do grief best.
0: Mm. So a lot of these things are going to start changing, and when they change, it becomes. Uh, it can be either apocalyptic or it has to be. We have to roll with it, and and um, it's easier said than done mm. to to my cousins, but you know, it, there's that there's part of this that 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 almost needs to. I'm not going to say be privileged to, but to understand that we're living very real history right now. Mm. We're, we're, we're living something, I think, that will be, uh, yeah. uh, you know, talked about the way the Spanish to flu point, is But at that point, I think about. that's
1: really useful because when you accept that we're living through these really unusual times and, and not the privileged thing, but that, that we're living history, I think that's important because in a year two's time, a lot of people, not just people who've had deaths, but particularly somebody who's been bereaved, during this time and it's affected the grieving process I think it's really important if you acknowledge that in two even three years time when you're not feeling quite right I think it's really important to be able to acknowledge how big it was so that you can then acknowledge ambiguous loss because ambiguous loss I think is something that causes massive destruction in people's lives and it's a a sense of trauma that people can't accept or can't almost feel like they're rewarding themselves with and and don't Feel they deserve, but I think it's really important when you accept ambiguous loss, you very quickly learn to deal with that. Mm. But like we need to have a national conversation in a couple of months' time about ambiguous loss.
0: Mm. A really nice moment on Thursday last as well, where everyone on the balconies and around the houses came out and clapped in the street for all the uh, the uh, health service workers who are, who were probably the. I mean, it, in, in many ways, it's a war, and they're in the trenches and. I think what's happening in Ireland, I'm kind of quietly confident that we will start turning the corner, mm. but I'm, I've, I, you know, America, I think is going to be in an absolute mess. And I think yeah. Britain, I we're, we're talking just a day after, two days after Boris Johnson announced he is uh, down with Virus. a lot of people saying oh I don't think he has it but like I think if he ever got caught spoofing that he'd just be <laughs> something. yeah but i thought a lot of Does people saying it.
1: that when, remember when Donald Trump was tested yeah a lot of people were saying that he wasn't really tested he lied
0: well we'd agree we'd believe that but, yeah yeah, uh, yeah 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 I mean the Donald Trump thing is hilarious his, you know his base are saying, saying he's doing a great job but I really think he's been found out now I think you can lie about certain things that you're doing or not doing but you know, when you look at what's happening with Cuomo in New York and Donald Trump, and just like he's behaving like this narcissistic egomaniac, it's more about how everyone sees him than precisely what he has to do for the country. And Doctor Fauci is um, sitting there rolling his eyes in the background. Yeah. he hasn't been fired, actually.
1: I mean, like, look on that front, I think most normal people have spent the past couple of years kind of going, "How far does he have to go before?" the fucking rednecks that voted Trump, the fucking maggot. How far does he have to go before people go, oh, Jesus, that's too far? Because, I mean, from early on, there were people who were naturally conservative, but they kind of went, yeah, but he's not a good man, and I can't stand for that, and I find it very difficult because I'm a Republican, but no, I can't stand for that. But, like, as time wore on, like, the rest of the world has sat there and gone, there's nothing bad enough he can do. And I'm looking now and going, well, maybe there is, because what does it take? Like, it's cognitive dissonance. It's the tribalism a certain sector people refuse to see anything wrong in him is because it's become so polarized and so tribal that when you've just laid out your colors and said this is my tribe it's very hard to go back on that and again the cognitive dissonance thing you can convince yourself if you go into the echo chamber and if your tribe becomes a massive part of your identity and the very core of what you believe it's like joining a cult. Like you you watch things about cults and you go, at what point did somebody sit there and go, yeah, this is grand, I'll stay here, why didn't you leave? Mm. But when you watch them, you you get it, when you yeah. get in too deep of like the tribalism. There's nothing he could ever do that's bad enough to break tribalism, but I think fear and terror is big enough to break tribalism. So I wonder what will happen when people are terrified, when the people who every fibre of them has been unwilling to go there and, and to critically think about them because they've painted their colours, the mast, and there's the tribalism thing when they're actually in fear for their lives is that when the, when the identity part drops
0: well I mean uh, further to your point earlier about slums and people and things like that you know I was just thinking as well about what you know imagine what this would have been like if it just killed poor people
1: yeah
0: or if it killed black people in America or Mexicans in America and everyone else was just fine the stock market was fine the yeah. odd Mexican or black guy in the stock exchange might die but it was basically... That would be AIDS. Well, yes, not when you think, so, Because
1: yeah. like, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, so how would that work? What if it was a um, some sort of a virus that people of African descent, they're genetically more yeah. disposed to, and so we're fine to get 10% rate to get it, and they, but with people of African descent, it's it, it, that, really dangerous. Moment. But
0: everybody listening to this podcast right now, if this disease... How would
1: this be different? If, no, if was this that, disease
0: affected... African Americans only or largely we know exactly what Donald Trump would yeah. be about and we don't have to say it
1: but not just in the US like not just in the US like this is a global thing yeah. and if it was if it was black people and it, but it's a global pandemic what would how much of an emergency would it have been and i think the closest thing that we can look at there is how much of an emergency was aids
0: mm. but there's hundreds of millions of people in Africa right now
1: well, and that's, sorry,
0: sorry, lads, this has been happening to black people for the last uh, 40 years. Sorry, it's funny, I say, I say the
1: AIDS thing and then I realised the, the actual, the Africa part of that because when I was talking about the AIDS part I was talking about the gay virus, the gay play. Yeah, I
0: know, yeah, yeah. But it's
1: funny actually now I think that, that it loops around. Hmm.
0: There's the knife edge because if it had been just the poor or it had been just uh, every Hispanic person in the southern states of America America would ethnically cleanse that yeah. and be damn happy about it, okay? Mm. There'd be uproar from the left. But Donald Trump would go, we're trying to do as best you can. But We've there'd be uproar from the, the left in the same
1: way there's uproar about babies and cages. But you just get used to hearing the uproar yeah. and yeah. that's just the new normal.
0: And then knocking on from that, why is that allowed? That's allowed for the same reason, well, mayfainism, it's not affecting me or my family, so I'm okay, Jack. But this... Virus, the coronavirus, takes no prisoners. You know, yeah, it's a it community thing, and whether you any... like
1: to acknowledge yourself as one of the great unwashed or not, hmm. we are a community. And like, I'm, it's, it's a message for me as well. I I don't of an arsenal, but like, I'm not one to go and hold hands with the community. I, I tend to be quite, I am me. It's not that I'm cruel to people, or I'm not, I'm not uncaring of people, but I see myself very much as a separate entity. And I've always seen
0: Shirley Bassi's I Am What I Am in the shower quite a lot. I
1: do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like I've always been like a bit of a loner, which, okay, there's always a crowd that, like, I've always been very mm. much myself and I depend on myself and that's it. And it's not that I, like I do deeply care about people, but I find it very hard to see myself as part of a group. Yeah. I'd like to think I'm not excessively greedy or careless about other people, but I know that I see myself in a very isolated way and I don't really acknowledge the idea of being part of a community, part of a society, it's very close to being part of a family, and, like, I kind of... I, I kind of get disgusted by that and think I'm just going to go off into my ivory tower and I'll hide and I don't want to see people. So I, I can be quite... I can turn my back on that. But the reality is, when something like this happens, you don't have that option. So the fact that I'm... It's kind of banging on my door, in case of, yeah, tough tits, chicken, you're actually part of society, you're part of a community. Everything you do is a knock-on effect. So I think if I was some sort of greedy bastard and the level of my greed and carelessness for my fellow man was really hurting other people because I had, I had power, well, I'm still, if I am the kind of person who sees myself in a separatist way, I'm still getting that message loud and clear. Mm. So what would, what effect if I had any power or money would the idea of, by the way, you're not actually just by yourself, you're a part of this great machine. If they fall, you fall. Yeah. So I, I think that's an interesting message.
0: Other tips for uh, that I've just learned, uh, I think it's time to start reading books again. I don't know about anyone else listening, but I've found it really hard to read books because I'm stuck on my phone all the time. And with the clock off the wall and no television or any other sound, I mean, it's great. There's this, this, this amazing silence. Mm. And there's almost like you can feel the earth breathing again. And you can feel the sort of strangulation of industry and airlines and, and and cars and trucks being removed. You can hear birds twittering in the trees. You're not hearing jets going overhead all the time. The capitalists will go, That's all that's that that is a disaster. I right? go but, but yeah. there's something
1: spiritual. No, I and see natural that and about. I like, I know everyone's that's I think that's important. That's interesting. But I think uh-huh. when we acknowledge that and kinda of think, you know, I hear birds, not just the seagulls, but like the little yeah. songbirds and like I it's quiet and I notice if I hear a plane. And that is lovely. But I think we need to not go into the Pollyanna shit of saying, oh, it's wonderful, the earth is breathing again. Because there are people who are hearing that. I'm probably one of them at times. That the sound of silence and the sense that everything's a bit quiet and that, like I found going to the supermarket and everybody had to queue outside for social distancing, like everyone had kind of normal faces and they were chatting away, but there's something behind the eyes of fear. Anybody that's in any way... And I say this, I don't mean this in a spiritual wanker sort of way, but anybody that's in any way intuitive or kind of tuned into something feels off here that picks up on the vibe in a room, the kind of person, particularly people who, if you grew up in a household where there was a lot of trauma or rouse or there was a dysfunctional parent, those people will know what I'm talking about. If Whether it was an alcoholic parent or a violent parent, you will know, you will fucking know what the vibe was. You'll know what the sound of the keys made in the door. Oh, it's been a bad day. I'm in for it now. So when I'm talking intuition, I mean that. But for people who have spent their entire lives kind of going on the gut response and going, something's not right here, it's extremely difficult to hear that silence. Mm. It's extremely disconcerting. And we don't understand it. And we know on, on an intellectual level what's happening on the news, but we don't have any certainty. But there's this, like your body is giving you this gut response. Something's not right here. Alarm going off. Something's not right here. And I think that's that's really important to acknowledge that, the, the beautiful things that we notice. Like it's great, the earth is healing, the quietness. When we talk about that, when we post it on Facebook, I think it's really important to acknowledge that that in and of itself is frightening the shit out of some people. And some people don't actually know, that they haven't intellectualized why they feel so off. But those certain things are putting the shits up them. Well, I I was meaning
0: more in a metaphoric sense. But if you you imagine the engine of the world is this big belching, you know, bits falling off, cranking away at the top speed, running at top speed every day, 24-7, doesn't stop, different drivers come in. That machine has been switched off, mm. and with it comes a lot of the stuff. Greta Thunberg has been advocating that we need to stop polluting, and the machine will start again because this virus will not kill us all. I don't think, and it will it will go away. But what machine do we switch on the next time? Yeah. And so there's an opportunity to say, you know what, old faithful out there has had her day. Mm. We will bring in this smooth running, silent carbon neutral machine mm. I mean it's a simplistic analogy but across know, but every I, industry I think this like the,
1: the the excuse has been consistently yeah I know we need to do this and I know we need to do that and yeah I know the earth yeah. is burning but like yeah, but you can't do that. It's just too big a deal. Well, but like now that it's happened, there's been an emergency. You can't shut down economies. You can't start making yeah. flights that unpopped. Yeah. Like that would affect the economy. Yeah. I know we need to, but like you can't stop freedom of yeah. movement. You can't. Progress
0: just, waits for no man. Exactly. This it's, shit, it's this yeah.
1: thing of like, yeah, I know, but you, you just, you couldn't possibly, you could mm. never do such a thing. And now our, our hand has been forced And that, well, actually you can stop flights and you can, yeah. you can stop everyone going to work except like, essential workers like you know, food, produce, bin men, nurses. No, we absolutely can mm. turn it can we turn it off can we turn the world off and turn it on again? Mm. We absolutely can because we've lived for a couple of months. Certainly it's going to be. So once we come out of that, even though I, I don't think there'll be a day when we suddenly come out of it, it's gonna be a gradual thing, it's very hard to put that excuse forward now when we go, Well fuck off we can't. We ha- that's what we've just done for the six months. So I, I don't know about turning it back on. I don't know about letting all those flights up in the air. I, 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 we want to, there to be restrictions on on air traffic and go. Yeah, you can't do that because you can't be fuck off. So sure, it's been stopped. Non, it's been stopped almost entirely for months. But it, well,
0: an idea, you know, I don't, I don't know how you get this to whoever needs to hear it, but like an idea for Europe and America and Australia and India and China to get. It doesn't have to be many people to get twelve people and say right now, you guys have nothing to do with coronavirus pandemic. You guys have to go away while we're trying to fix this problem and come up with what happens when we switch everything on again. What changes can we make? Hmm. The most important.
1: What things do we leave off? What?
0: what yes, the most important. And I mean, I think first,
1: switch on in a very, very minimised capacity.
0: Yeah, and the biggest threat you referenced it earlier is this virus has been coming at, at for years. You know, Bill Gates has been yabbing away like hmm. about the fact that if a virus comes on, there's a three to four percent at the moment. We don't know yet mortality. Looking likely on this, some places as high as seven, some places down as far as one point seven. But what happens if we get something that's ten percent or twenty, and if it's airborne? Yeah. So we we need we we've clearly shown that the world as it's currently stands, in this greed buy now pay later mentality, is open to, you know, what if it was an asteroid coming at us?
1: Yeah, you I know? think. But like we're a globalist community that have never been more connected, and yet feel completely separate we've never been more individualistic and we have this veneer and this arrogance and i say we i mean me we literally we have this arrogance this sense that we don't see people all the time we've never been less connected in that way but we're incredibly interdependent more so than ever before we don't have small little communities and small little families and tribes and like we've never been more interdependent and globalistic and yet we've never felt so arrogant in how independent we are and how Mm. not connected to to other people we are Mm and Hello, it's just not if you're and that's just not true that's just not true like, and yeah. i can take something like this to see it as for my point earlier on about i wonder about the psyche of people and even if this is all goes away and we know it's fine you can't unlearn the knowledge that something like this could just happen and what if it's airborne next time there's plexiglass gone up in nearly every supermarket mm-hmm. now everywhere you go like we're not going to suddenly forget the safety measures we've been taking. We're not going to suddenly just get over that while thinking the next one could be more serious. And how is that going to impact how we relate to one another, even though we've now realized how like the essential workers. It's been very interesting to see what essential workers actually are, because three months ago when we we're talking about pay and zero contract hours, essential workers meant a very different thing. Mm. But essential workers now are the 18 year old stacking shelves. So on it's zero. A yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's that's an interesting one. And for all the people who've realised I'm actually not needed. I'm really important and I make lots of money but I'm not needed because I've literally been sat there watching fucking Peppa Pig taking the <laughs> odd phone call at home and I realised how piss all use I am. So it will change the psyche. On the one hand, we're now going to have to realise we are a community whether we like it or not. And it's, it's funny that the one time we've been completely isolated from one another is the time when we've built community spirit. So we're going to feel more... Codependent and interdependent, and yet we're going to be less trustful of one another and we're going to be more separated by plexiglass everywhere. There's this yin and yang push and pull as to how that's going to manifest in how we treat each other, how we speak to each other, how we meet each other.
0: We went down a rabbit hole there, but I think you're right. But also, I think it's time to start taking, not worrying about the clock, reading a book and not sitting there, just reading it for like as long as it takes. Read two chapters, read for an hour, read for two hours. You know, we've deliberately made this podcast a bit longer this week because people have a lot of time on their hands. Not that the information or the, or the chat is particularly entertaining or amusing. But, um, you know, trying to cope with these just ways of, of So sort of getting back to listening to silence, getting back to the lack of noise. Hmm. And loneliness is is something that's going to start creeping back up. And, you know, there's, there's talks out of Italy now of there being some anarchy and things like that. So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. But we do know is, I think, just make sure you do your best not to get it because if you get it, you're entering a world of pain. Not, maybe not you, but maybe your mother or grandmother or whatever. And
1: I think for the getting by mentally, because I think, again, you mentioned the loneliest thing. It's different for everybody and for some people it's going to be incredibly difficult. For people in violent relationships, it's going to be incredibly difficult. Like, mm. There's a lot, an awful lot of people I, like I don't want to be like, oh, just take the time you're spending with family. I don't want to be that arsehole. But I would say, and I say this, saying <laughs> it to myself, like, do you know if ever you've been out of work and you kind of go, right, for the past two years, I'd loved to think I'd have three weeks where I can sit on the fucking couch and just watch Netflix and yeah. fuck this. But it doesn't feel like that at the time. It feels scary and uncertain. And yeah. have I fallen off the face of the earth? Are things going to be okay? And then you're, you're back on track. You get to college or you get to work or whatever. And I think most people can relate to this on some level. If you've been, lost a job or something like that, and I think afterwards, Jesus, I'd fucking love to have that three weeks unemployment. Now I'd love a fucking holiday. It's not a holiday when you don't know what's coming if at all possible, if you can take an hour out each day if you need to and just have a fucking cry. Think about things that are bothering you. Don't like push them away. Think about them and then go, okay. But the chances are, likelihood is, might be a bit, it's all going to go back to normal eventually. Pretty much normal. And when I look back in a couple of years, it's going to be, oh, remember that mad time when everyone watched Netflix all the time and we didn't have to go to work? So try and think of it like that. And I know that's easier said than done, but like try and think at a certain point, ninety nine point nine percent chance in a couple of years' time I'm going to be on Facebook and look back at Facebook memories and go, "Oh Jesus, that was during lockdown," and I'll probably be pissed off going to work that day or mm. something like that. I know that's simplistic.
0: Well, but- there was another one which I I, I sort of did some numbers on anyone listening for Ireland or any big city. So Dublin is a is a city of you know one point three four million people. And it has a city centre full of bars, pubs, restaurants, theatres, cinemas, um, cafes and then shops, as, as all cities do. So in that 1.6 million people, right now there's about the amount of people who can fit in our biggest theatre, the Gaiety Theatre, who actually have the virus. Now, I'm not downplaying this. I'm saying this is how it can oh, be exactly contained. Oh, it's getting a
1: picture of
0: it. Yeah, getting a picture of it. So if you imagine a Saturday night in Dublin, All the bars are packed, all the restaurants are packed, all the cinemas are packed. Everyone's out on dates, everyone's doing late night shopping. And a certain number of people have gone to see a play in the gaiety. They're the ones who have the virus. The ones who have died in Ireland from the virus probably occupy two or three boxes within that theatre. And the point is, if all of those people who have the virus leave the theatre and go their separate ways and go into pubs across the road or go out for meals with friends, that's how it spreads. Mm. So this is the, the thinking. There's actually evidence to suggest maybe that there's an awful lot more people who are infected in this country and every country that just haven't been symptomatic. Uh, so that, that would d- deeply skew that analogy. Well, certainly, but, yeah. But in official terms, uh, that, that is the way to look at your look at your biggest theater in whatever city you're in. That probably does not apply to New York, and uh, probably most of Broadway has it in in, in New yeah, York. Yeah, no. Terms. If in New
1: York, like God help you, best look. Sorry, this doesn't apply to you.
0: I lived there for three years and I, I you know, New York has this gung-ho attitude. It, you know, it sometimes even doesn't feel like America. It's, um, you know, New Yorkers are a tough bunch. and like an Asian they're, city, really, isn't it? Well, it's, it's very, it's very kind of, it's kind of like America's errant older brother that thinks a lot of its siblings are thick, you know.
1: Cranky, yeah. spiky, older yeah. brother.
0: And, Never and, married, didn't all right, have we'll kids. Do it, you know? <laughs> all right, we'll do it. You um, know, right, right, we'll do it. Speaking of New York, um, I hear uh, Rachel Maddow needs to uh, watch her back.
1: She does, yeah. And I just want to thank you again, Sean, for inviting me onto your podcast. It's the second most exciting podcast I've been on in the past week or so.
0: <laughs> so the Don's daughter, Anya, uh, those of you who listen to her podcast will maybe get her real name. Uh, has a new podcast out called peanut from the gallery her nickname is peanut and she is doing a child's view of the coronavirus and what it's like being locked down for kids they're only about 10 minutes long the first one's slightly longer because she interviewed her granny and her mother uh, so check out that peanut from the gallery i think it's only available on facebook so if you look up the dawn from uh, she i think has links to it on there and that's uh, good if you were at home with kids one is a precocious nine-year-old well-able to talk and she's just read 1984 and she draws parallels with that. So it's a good listen if you want your kids to listen to something from uh, the mouth of babes. Was there anything else?
1: No, I think that about covers it.
0: We're going to cut now to uh, Pete Dunn, as we said at the start and in memory of my Uncle Terence who also died sadly this week. Uh, they will be both very missed. Um, as somebody uh, said about Pete Dunn, which was he was a man who did everything wrong the right way and we'll miss him won't we?
1: Yeah.
0: And I'll miss my Uncle Terry. Without further ado we give you number one in the Don's top 20 countdown this is Pete Dunn. you all stay safe and keep washing your hands bye bye (laughs) Hi. <laughs> Welcome to A Point with Shoni B coming to you from, where are we? Stockwell. Stockwell, yeah. Stockwell in London. I've got an Irish lad with me here who's left Dublin, I think, in the 70s. He's an artist, musician, an activist. He's, he likes to subvert brands. Uh, his artworks are amazing. We've got links to his website. If you want to have a look now before you start listening, it might be a good idea. And he'll also be playing some of his music throughout the podcast. I'm welcoming Pete Dunn. How are you, sir? How are
3: you doing? Grand, yeah.
0: How long have you been in Stockwell?
3: I oh, washed up here about 12 <laughs> years ago, I suppose, but I've always been gravitated towards South London, Brixton and that.
0: So you're born in Dublin? Yeah, raised here. in Ring's End. Ring's End, that's where I live. 50s, 60s. Yeah, what was it like there? What are your memories? Good? Um,
3: it was a shithole, basically.
0: <laughs> um, Still is a bit. Well. I heard it's Apart from <laughs> one bit. I heard there's an owl one down there and
3: she's got a poodle or a chichihuahua, one of those designer dogs.
0: So it's come up coming up at Well Google have moved into Ireland in a big way and they've moved right into where Pete's childhood home was and they've built big glass offices and it's a sign of progress in our city apparently, but one by one they're knocking down probably all the houses you were in. Were you well, in those yeah. red brick red brick houses? Yeah, house there were two town? up two down. Yeah. There was
3: like six kids and the folks and there. yeah, there wasn't an awful lot of privacy. But you at that time, we used to get thrown out playing on the street. And Parents didn't give a shit about their kids back then. It was, well, good. It was We'd go ground in a gang, and if there was yeah. anybody bit iffy around, we'd chase them off, throw yeah. stones at them. Ringsend had a tradition of gurrierisms of because you had to get carriage a Ringsend carriage across to go into Dublin proper. And it was a perfect spot to uh, relieve the gentry of their... Tea leaving. Yeah, of their... Yeah. <laughs> Possessions, you have yeah, their money and their watches and whatever else. And what
0: was your child? Was it a happy childhood? Do you remember? It
3: was, yeah. The '60s were personal tragedy. We were poor, Lynn. but we were happy. Well, yeah, my dad was good at making money.
0: Steel business was it?
3: It was engineering metal yeah. works. Yeah, um, he was a very decent man. He had a very giving kind of nature. Very generous. Mm. We, we used to play a lot in the in the gas works, in the ESB, yeah. the bottle company, the bus garage. I mean, there wasn't many trees or you know, greenery,
0: around. No, they're all browns. Yeah, yeah,
3: it was a very industrial area. Where did you come
0: in the pecking order?
3: I I was a small kid. I always used humour as a a means to get past the bullies and that. Yeah, works. It does, yeah. And then I became a very good shot with a stone. If there was any gurriers on my case, I'd run as fast as I could and then I'd just take the guy's eye out
0: with a stone. David and Goliath.
3: Yeah, it was that kind of style. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Were you good at school or were you artistic in school? Um,
3: Well, at that time, I mean, to have your sort of artistic ambitions recognized was a waste of time, honestly. It's like, what are you
0: going to do? A lot of violence in classroom, teachers. Oh, God, yeah. They're fuckers,
3: weren't they? You get beaten up at school. You get beaten up on the way home. And then you get get beaten up when you got home. (laughs) Was it it a a Christian Brothers school you were in? It was Marist Brothers. Um, They were like, Christian Marling Brothers. College. Yeah. yeah Christian yeah. Brothers, light. Still a frustrated bunch of artists And right beside Lansdowne Road, so did you go to a lot of football matches? Well, we used we used Punk to go. In. I was the only one who could ask for a cigarette in French, so I used to love <laughs> when Ireland played France. I'd end up with a whole load of Goulois and jetons, like,
0: The old Lansdowne Road uh, rugby stadium, which is where the soccer matches are played, is based in uh, New Rings and Bowles area, so that was all around the. This whole thing about the good old days, those bollocks, right? There was no, no good old days. Just, um, Do you think
3: there was? I think the, the whole thing for me, when I look back, is just tobacco stained. Everything <laughs> was brown. You'd go up onto the top deck of a bus and it'd be I just. Remember, yeah. sh- there'd be steam coming
0: yeah. off their overcoats, yeah.
3: brown overcoats. Yeah. The, the whole thing was like a brown
0: f- fog. Yeah. It was so, probably where SARS got invented, somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah, probably, could, yeah. Christmas time, everyone's <laughs> coughing and yeah. asleep on the side. It's all fogged up and yeah. dripping down. Yeah. Sepia. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could buy cigarettes, you know, single cigarettes. Single.
3: Can I have a Rockman and a match, yeah. my <laughs> a match from your mummy? A match from your mummy, yeah. That was it, yeah. But I started smoking very young. I was like eight or something. Do you still smoke? No, I gave it up. I, I do. After nearly 50 years.
0: Really? Was it hard?
3: I was surprised how easy it was, actually. Um, did you have a scare or did you just decide to do it? Yeah, I got I got very ill there a few years back, so mm. I just had to start behaving myself.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the We're mindset. reading between the lines here. So when, so you left school, did you go straight working?
3: Um, I kind of blagged around for a year or yeah. so, you wondering what to do. And then I came to London in 76. I was 19. Big and adventure? Oh, it was great! It was yeah. like the so land different promised land. Then,
0: yeah, it's like
3: to mm. get away from that Catholic morality yeah.
0: squad. Only just, yeah. Only just dying now. Only
3: just dying now. Good riddance. Yeah. Personally, I think they should have to all their property confiscated.
0: So, you were you running away?
3: No, I came over. I was supposed to start studying architecture. I was working in an architect's architecture? office, in, but my brother was an architect, so okay. he got me a job doing small little drawings and stuff and sort of oh. things. So I was very good at it. So I came over here, we went straight to Trafalgar Square, got a job sweeping the streets over in Paddington, which was ironic because my school teachers used to always look at me and go, Done, you're going to end up sweeping the streets. And it was the first job I got. If you had a selfie back then, you could have said, <laughs> you
0: know, was like, Father, such and such, look, look what I achieved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, yes. How was it like being a... Tr- I've never I've never spoken to someone who's done that job. It well, was great.
3: It was really interesting because around Paddington, there was a lot of sort of very rich, eccentric people. And a lot of them lonely, they'd bring me in and give me cups of tea and stuff, yeah. just somebody to chat. And it was a very yeah. hot summer. It was like 76 with a heat wave. Every day was up, up in the 30s. We'd sweep the back of fit. the pub and they'd give you a sandwich and a pint. Were they? You know, yeah,
0: yeah. So you were for the council... Yeah, but you weren't supposed to be doing any of that. No, I know, yeah. But, it was yeah. great. They'd as long looked. as you got to the sweet streets. So
3: yeah. A lot of the lads who worked in there, they, I mean, they weren't exactly sort of, you know, molecular scientists. Yeah. And yeah, that. Yeah. It was all about football. It was a Sun
0: newspaper yeah. and the hog yeah, right, team. Yeah. But it was a time when it was very racist towards Irish. Oh, man, it was
3: awful. It was like every time a bomb would go off, you just wouldn't open your mouth. You'd go out busking. I remember there was one bomb went off and the Queen's horses got blown up. And we were all playing Irish tunes down in Berwick Street Market. And one of the stallholders came over and went, look, mate, you better fucking leave it at. And we were going, look, what? He said, oh, the IRA blew up. So we went straight into a reggae set. And all the stallholders looked at us and went, yeah, yeah, you're this much better, mate. You will. You're so good. You'd
0: be yeah, sorry yeah, for that. There was the old... Um Stories of you know, even out in uh, you know Kilburn and all those sort of areas, where there were no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Yeah. There were signs on pubs. Yeah. Britain was much more racist back oh, like yeah. then than it is oh, now. Oh God, yeah. Thing
3: was like the, the Irish being really stupid. Like yeah, I used to bring a book. I was working on a building site. So and I used to read a book. Yeah. You know, sci-fi. And they'd be and reading stuff. The Fucking Sun and, and the big tits like on page three. fucking Patty reading a book. Yeah.
0: It's like, yeah. Yeah. We'll go head to head with you yeah. per capita on yeah. Great Writers and we'll see who wins.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I seen a t-shirt the other day I thought it was great. It was... Uh, no whites, no cats, no English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just,
0: that's just, yeah. So you, you got hunkered in here, did yeah, you? Yeah, it was
3: great. It was like, I was like, I was an avid smoker. So I, I loved to be able to buy a big lump of dope for
0: very relatively cheap mm. price. So you base yourself where Brixton?
3: I was over in Stoke Newington Stafford oh, okay, Hill right, yeah right. we were squatting over there it was yeah. like promised land yeah. you could get as much work as you wanted you didn't have to pay for rent and I mean when, when the Tories brought in that anti-squatting law they inadvertently destroyed all the underground scene in London any cultural revolution starts with low rent that's when white P- punk happened because you could go move into a squat and Practice, learn how to play your instrument, and yeah. drive the neighbours, mental off. Where did the music to, bit come in? Went overland to India. And then I met some people. Okay, so you did, left it London. I well, left why London. Did you leave, why did you leave London? Oh, I just wanted adventure. And See the world. At that time, I mean, India was the furthest you could hitchhike to. <laughs> without getting good. a boat. Like you get a boat over to yeah. Calais and that was it. And I just wanted to keep going. like On you know, your own?
0: On my own, yeah. Were you always a kind of a... Uh, Happy in your own company. So yeah, I still am. Like,
3: yeah. I, don't, I don't get bored. Yeah. Live imagination, so that keeps yeah. me
0: busy enough. Like, but yeah, How long did you do in London before you decided, I'm going to shake the...
3: Um, I was here
0: for a year. Had you always the ambition to maybe see the world? Oh, yeah. right. I
3: just want. I'm living in a squatter. Came around to August time, you know, at the end of the summer and that, people were saying, oh, I'm going down to Kent to pick apples. Hmm. Oh, I'm going down to the south of France to pick grapes. And they were asking me, what am I, you going to do, Pete? I said, I'm going to go to Afghanistan and make hashish.
0: And that's what I did. All right, so tell me about that. You get off of Cali and you start hitchhiking. You start you hitchhiking. See your out. Yeah. <laughs> Carpels in. It. Where are you going? It, uh, Kabul? Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, it was just a couple of days after Elvis died. And right, just, 77. Yeah, just before they launched Voyager 2, which
0: is so, still going. Which is still going. It's yeah, left yep, the solar yep, system. Yep. Great documentary yeah. by an Irish girl, I've actually. I've seen that yeah, one it's, it's fantastic. Yeah.
3: Uh, for me, it was like going out into space, yeah. going out into the universe in conjunction with this uh, space probe Voyager two. Yeah. So I've always had a real strong affinity. I'd read everything that came out about it. It was like leaving planet Earth behind. And so, were you scared at all? Not really. You're no. Twenty years old now. Yeah. Not really. No.
0: Just a couple of oh, just pairs really of jeans curious and,
3: and yeah, yeah, adventurous and um a few times in. Eastern Turkey and Iran hitching and that it got a bit dodgy
0: give us some examples of that
3: just truck drivers wanting to show you up the arse <laughs> you know <Yeah.
0: laughs> end up in a Turkish way. prison oops yeah, yeah same thing right. <laughs> did you find kindness though
3: oh very much so yeah It was incredible people mm. going through, at the time it was Yugoslavia that was so austere
0: that was Tito but yeah it
3: was like they were so sad looking to people mm. And then you get to Greece, and suddenly people were happy like, "Really?" Yeah. There was lots to eat, and people were happy. There was music
0: and bars, and so. Were, were you on a mission to get there faster or did you say it um, doesn't matter as I long? Was, as
3: I basically wanted to get to Afghanistan quick because everywhere else had draconian drug laws. Right. Get to the border post between Iran and uh, Afghanistan, and that everything changed. Yeah, yeah. Everything as I say, just like leaving planet Earth behind and going yeah. out into the
0: universe. Was it just, you knew that, that you definitely find it there yeah. you picked Afghanistan? Because Afghanistan uh, yeah. even back then was... No, it was before all it was the... before trouble. the Russians yeah. came, yeah, yeah. Russians came in 79.
3: And it was, I'd gone back in time. It was a really enchanted place. People had to, things in, in perspective. You know, sustainability was a way of life. Our shift in consciousness has to go back to that. I agree. That you don't just throw something away. Like, like ter- well, like termite. Yeah, you know, we we're are. just eating everything yeah, inside, yeah. you know. They recycle car tires into buckets, into sandals, into yeah. God knows what. They made covers for their tape-to-tape cassette machines. Yeah. yeah. They really were really fucking them, cool, yeah. yeah, it was. It looked really good. <laughs> <laughs> Buy them yeah. and bring them
0: back and sell them yeah. for a few hundred bucks. What other countries really took you on that? Can you remember on that Yeah, trip? you
3: go through... Like, it was remarkably sort of evident that you were leaving another continent when you got to uh, Istanbul and you crossed the Bosphorus there. It was like, suddenly you were in Asia and it was like, European laws didn't really apply, you know?
0: You were kind of following the Silk Road.
3: Pretty much, yeah. I mean, at that time you couldn't go up north into Russia because Mm. it was the Iron Curtain was very much in in place. Like, would you jump trains and all that stuff as well, yeah? Well, yeah, you grab whatever you could. Like, it was fairly low budget kind Mm. of stuff. I went out there for six months. When I got to India I stayed best part of ten years.
0: Did you get to Kabul, was it? I got to
3: Herat is Harat, the first okay. first town you cross into. As I say, You must was have been a, a, real a real Odyssey, right? Stand, White guy from Yeah. Yeah. But it was a fairly established hippie trail at that time. Okay. But I tracked down a documentary on YouTube called Afghanistan Before the Wars and there was a shot of this bakery across the road. And I was so stoned, it took me about a half an hour to get over to this bakery But I, I actually seen a bit of footage of the footpath that I was standing on in the bakery really? across the road. I was standing on the side on the footpath, going all the way until this guy with the bicycle goes past. And he'd be like about 500 yards
0: up the road. <laughs> so it's just. But also, because you know this now, but you probably, your first experiences in London with weed or whatever, Hash, it's a very different hash you're getting out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got the I, real I,
3: deal. I, I can't handle it these days. It's just, it's turbo, you know. And but
0: know. that must have also blown your mind. Going, well, yeah, Fuck, this stuff. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, Did you, you make a lot of friends then on the on the trip? Yeah,
3: I used to. Yeah, you would. You'd yeah. fall in with people, and like soon enough, you'd, you'd know whether there were people to avoid or whether you could travel with them.
0: Yeah.
3: And the local Afghani people were very hospitable and very curious. I ended up teaming up with this uh, French anthropologist who said, Come on, and we go out into the desert and we'll check out the nomads out there. He took me off out into, of into Genghis the desert. Cam. Yeah, <laughs> and we promptly got lost. <laughs> I'm surprised. I surprised. It was like <laughs> the end of August. But this guy, all this he could talk about was splitting up with his girlfriend. And I was like, Did you not bring any water? And it's like, No, did you? And it's like, Two gobshites lost in the desert in the middle of Afghanistan without any water.
0: Which is funny for the first hour or two and then starts yeah. getting serious. Right? Yeah, on
3: big style. And what happened? Um, eventually, I seen this tree growing out. Everywhere looked identical. You climb up to the top of the hill and it just looked like the hill that you'd climbed up before. So I eventually seen this little tree sticking out of a ravine. I went down <laughs> and found this guy. He was down there and I said can we get some water Like, so he took us off on this winding through these identical then, yeah. yeah identical hills and we came to a little stone doorway that had been carved into the side of the mountain and he disappeared inside and then when I followed in after him there was this amazing three pools of water ancient you know with sort of pre-Islamic carvings on and there was fish in it and it was all green Men you sure know, this
0: actually happened in did, dreams.
3: I, <laughs> 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 I wasn't that dehydrated.
0: Um, but it so was, was a, something, it was like a it was, it was religious, it had a religious no, well, no, no, it was
3: a public bath basically oh, right, right. built into the underground in the mountains. Afghanistan is full of ancient things like that. I mean, do you think that you could conquer a people mm. as resilient as the Afghanis.
0: Um, and where did you stay when you were in Afghanistan? In people's houses or in yurts you, or
3: Yeah, you just, wherever, cheap
0: hostels and people's houses, yeah, you, wherever the journey took you, really. Did you lose faith at any point in your mission or did you get down or? No,
3: I never really got homesick. I mean, there wasn't much, much oh, of a okay, home to get well, sick yeah. for, really. Yeah. It was a bit of a shithole, I mean, yeah so I never what about your mates? do they all go what the fuck is yeah they, they were all still in the pub you know yeah. backing horses yeah. drinking still are probably
0: talking about football <laughs> yeah. yeah I think a lot of them kind of went to the grave doing that it's interesting looking back from this age I'm sure because I I left in 96 when I was 27 and my one of my regrets is that I didn't leave about five years earlier yeah. at this juncture you realise you realise yeah. how fortunate you are Cause I was lived in, I lived in, in India We we'll talk about India and China and just see so much poverty and just go yeah. what am I complaining about exactly, like everything yeah, I've got exactly. everything you know, compared yeah. to these people
3: yeah it's like the other day I was queuing up in the post office or something and I started I found myself getting a bit annoyed exactly that I thought oh. look mate
0: Exactly. what have you got what, to, to uh, five more minutes to wait yeah. or whatever Yeah. You know? and but, what about food and stuff of like that was it Was because it um, I know like Ireland was just fucking poda- oh, was potatoes potatoes vegetables and ham
3: but I went vegetarian when I was about 16, 17 we used to have a woman Mr O'Reilly come around and cook us I told her I said Mr O'Reilly I'm vegetarian I'm not going to eat meat so the next day I came in there was, she handed me a big plate of sausages and said I know you don't eat meat so I got your sausages
0: <laughs> So
3: that was the level of the queasy, <laughs> Why did you go off me? Because that was
0: quite to, foresightful back then.
3: Yeah, I think it was just seemed to be the right thing to do. Just, Animal treatment. Yeah, just morally seemed to be a bit corrupt, you know?
0: I think it'll go down. I've said this in the podcast before. is one of, in a hundred years' time, I think people will look back and go, like, they were what able to fucking doing? cure cancer. Yeah. They were able to fly to the moon. And they still treated yeah. animals like fucking yeah. shit, you know?
3: I've seen a good thing on Irish television there about macronapherma versus a vegan. <laughs> are
0: an Irish agricultural institute. I like the meat mafia. Yeah, the meat mafia, yeah. And <laughs> what do they
3: do? The macronapherma guy came out and said, according to the latest scientific uh, research, vegetarians are much more likely to commit a crime. <laughs> <laughs> and when he went into this convoluted, it was unbelievable. I don't know where the guy got Then When there, was I that? I missed that. Recently? Yeah, it was about a year ago. I mean, they were trying to justify saying they loved their animals. Like, how yeah. can you love something and then kill it?
0: You know? Or take calves away from their mothers exactly. and then oh, get them pregnant yeah. again and yeah. all that stuff.
3: Yeah. That's very
0: rare for an Irish man. It was. So. I,
3: I didn't fit in with the general scene in, no. in Ireland at the time. Were you religious? No. No. Like, I was just very different. I was mm. always interested in uh, other things besides the norm. Did was, you read uh, a lot? Yeah, loads. Right? Yeah, I used to, yeah. I used did to you do a book. journal on that trip? Not really, but I've a very good
0: memory. I can remember most yeah. of it. So how long did you spend then in Afghanistan?
3: Afghanistan, I was there for, they'd let you stay for a month. I got a, an extension to the visa for another three weeks or something. It, it was a really fascinating country. Yeah. There always was a, an undercurrent of danger.
0: Everyone packing.
3: Yeah. Oh, they were all tooled up, yeah. Yeah. Did you see any violence? You'd see kind of mob violence. If a bus driver had knocked a school kid down, they'd drag him out and beat him yeah. to death, basically. Yeah. Instant Be a karma, I think. I mean, it actually happened to myself and my, my mate one time. We were pretty much skint and we were living off wild food up in the himalayas and stuff and we wandered into a village around sunset been a really hard day walking all day no water we got a campfire together and it was a spring and we we were cooking up a bit of the local fat hen it was like a herb that grew a plant that grew it was like wild spinach and next of all there was a boulder came and sort of hit my mate in the head and we didn't know what was going on suddenly there was a big crowd of people they chased us up onto the road basically the village had been raided the night before by bandits
0: they thought you were there and
3: they thought we were we were so how did you get bandits. out of this? Um, apart from your,
0: your expert stone throwing abilities <laughs> which well, sure didn't come into play there <laughs> my, my mate, <laughs> rings <end> childhood
3: <laughs> my mate just grabbed the ringleader showed him the passport and said no we're not, we're not anything to do with what you think we are and did they so, back up yeah off? everybody just kind of but I could see it really escalating into that mob yeah. consciousness you know, where and then were they nice to you after that, that? they just all kind of fucked looked up. a bit embarrassed really yeah. you know, and fucked off
0: you
3: yeah. know, back to their hovels.
0: so you were wandering your way towards India well yeah got into through, Pakistan yeah,
3: Pakistan at that time it was, it was very edgy so you just get through there as quickly as possible yeah. and uh, get into India and it was like promised land really and then off up into the mountains. And that's where I felt
0: I'd really kind of come home.
3: But again, I mean... Like, you get bored
0: getting stoned. Like, we getting get stoned every day. Was yeah, that the yeah. Uh, yeah, you would. And you'd walk a lot every day. You'd be walking it's around. It's it very. So it's not a certain story. No, I yeah, know, yeah. yeah. But, but uh,
3: I mean, the religion thing is... Like,
0: Like me, you know how original that... Like, there's probably no one in the world who's done that. Well... Really. For, like, the, for the length of time that you did uh, it.
3: Yeah, the religious thing I never never really grabbed me. Uh, to be honest with you, I think it's the oldest scam in the book. I
0: oh, know I agree. Look, yeah. you're yeah. talking to I mean, one of the things I think is happening in the world is God is dead. Yeah. Sorry, Nietzsche, mm. but yeah, but like he's, he was right. And that means there's no afterlife. That yeah. means you don't see your little Johnny again when yeah. he gets run over by a bus. That means you don't see your mammy dad when in he heaven. dies and mammy in heaven. Yeah. yeah. And then people go, Well, what's the fucking point? Yeah. And then What's, like nihilism starts creeping. Yeah. We, do you think you were nihilistic?
3: No, I think life is a is a really good opportunity to make make yourself better. You know, anybody who tells you there is or isn't an afterlife is is having you on. Yeah, so how the fuck do they know?
0: And it's totalitarian. Yeah, it's like um, Bill Hicks's great quote was, "Eternal damnation to anyone who questions my everlasting love."
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> so yeah, the religious saying never really got me.
0: But we'll come back uh, to uh, India, but we're going to play three of your uh, tracks because you're a musician as well. Yeah. Um, introduce us to your first piece of music.
3: The first one is called Something in the Water. I suppose I'm inspired by uh, all the gack they're putting into our drinking water, from fluoride oh, to yeah. plastic. To, apparently yeah. today, in today's paper. We've yeah, all got plastic in us yeah. now. Yeah, that's it. Plastic people. Yeah. Mm. I didn't intend for it to turn into urban country with an acid twist, but. Yeah. There you go. That's the creative process. I think right it there. has
0: a ex-guest of mine, Nick Reynolds, playing harmonica. He plays
3: w- wonderful harmonica. Yeah, yeah Nick is from the
0: Alabama Three, so he's he's teamed up with uh, Pete for this. And
3: it has another chap from Oslo called Neil given who played everything else. This
0: something is something in the water.
3: Yeah.
4: a holiday
5: where the sun don't shine watch the
4: telly in the daytime drink a carton of wine
0: Something in the Water, that's a uh, brilliant, brilliant sound, and there's another one coming soon, which I've also heard, and it's a real earworm, as Pete calls it, it will be coming up later. Right, so you've got to India, you've been travelling there for over a year, I'd say, have you? Yeah. And then what are you thinking about India? Because I did quite a bit of work in India in the early 2000s, so I'm really intrigued what it was like in,
3: yeah, in the 70s. The it was, 70s. You were like a superstar out there, everybody wanted to know you, Come in and... Have a look at my blankets, or come in and have something to eat. A lot of people are just hospitable, just curious. But once you got high up into the Himalayas, was, mm. where the air was rarefied, it was almost oh, wonderful experience. It was mm. that that for me was a spiritual uh, awakening. Explain you, what it did to you. You're above everything. The you're majesty looking, of nature. Yeah, yeah, you're looking down on planes and mm. all the Babylon bullshit that goes on, <laughs> yeah. and you're just up in a very clean rarefied atmosphere. I mean, Where'd you stay then? Just hostels yeah, and little up in, up in the mountains you'd stay in shepherds' huts, right. Caves, up a rock overhang, wherever you'd end up in, mm. in the evening.
0: And were you long haired and big beard? Was that the Great looks yeah. Yeah.
3: People used to wonder what was growing out in their head <laughs> at that time.
0: But yeah, And were you healthy though, apart from um, maybe, you know, whatever was living it, in you but yeah, yeah, it wasn't
3: but it was good. I mean yeah. the time you'd get, get, get
0: unhealthy is the... when you
3: get down into cities and you'd start eating in restaurants and stuff and you're cooking for yourself it was yeah it's grand.
0: And did you always have a, a team with you or was were you often on your own? Or? No,
3: I'd often well you would go up with a couple of people, yeah, in case something had happened. And a lot of the times I used to take people up, I'd, I'd work as a tour guide, I'd take them up trekking for a couple of weeks into the over the high passes. Of course it gave me a perfect opportunity to clock where all the while wild ganjo is grown So yeah, I'd come back to it in September and Go out Help and, yourself. Yeah, but yeah, you'd rub it up and you'd make primo charis. And yeah, it was lovely. Some some of the sunsets I say now at that that time of year look like, fantastic.
0: Did you say you spent six years there? I mean, best part of ten years. Ten maybe, years, yeah. just as just touring just around going around it.
3: Yeah, i paint, and then I teamed up with a friend of mine, Jimmy Bergen, and he was a great musician. So that's what got me into playing. I I had to do something, so we'd we'd always get by with the music. People would hear it and. It automatically kind of it was a magnetic kind of force we'd go and we'd find an old temple and kind of squat it make a fire play some music and suddenly there'd be lots of people around and suddenly there'd be loads of food and cups of tea and yeah it was very simple but it was a it very was joyous great. looking back it was very free yeah know? it was like no possessions none You a blanket
0: only the clothes on your back only
3: the clothes on my back yeah and I
0: mean, you'd wash in rivers you'd, and you'd, stuff and, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah all that I remember one time going over, we teamed up with this Australian guy who had all the gear, like all the mountain climbing gear. Well, North a, Face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he took us on this trek, unbeknownst to us, it was like a severe trek across glaciers and stuff like that. But you were, I was in a pair of flip-flops. Yeah. And one of the flip-flops, it slid off down the glacier. And I looked and I thought, no, just let it go. So I, I did
0: across and this bear. glacier in <laughs> one, one flip-flop. Freezing cold. I was like,
3: what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> but it was too late to go back. Yeah.
0: So I just had to keep going. like How often did you make, did you tell people you were alive?
3: Um. Yeah. I mean, at that time there was no internet and stuff. Yeah. There was an aerogram. Carry yeah, your pigeon. Right, right. rings <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I just got to I remember to to make a phone call, you had to book it three days in advance. That's madly expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't, you know. If, Tenor you wouldn't have the money to yeah. be ringing home. We used to write to me, Dad. trying. Try How and, does he think of you? Well, I told him I was going to India. He said, they "Fucking you out there." That was that was as much as he knew. <laughs> yeah. But when I told him I was going to from he said, even the."
0: yeah I did avoid <laughs> apologies to any lead, lead from listeners just, to the show <laughs> just do a leftist slide yeah. fucking hell man
3: That's so yeah happen. there was all that and I mean eventually it got fairly undernourished and what actually happened was they brought in a visa um, up until 84 you could stay as long as you want you didn't need a visa it was the Commonwealth in Ireland the two, and then did you get, did you
0: get uh, arrested at any stage?
3: No, we, no, I mean, it was all gr- You weren't doing any we weren't harm, doing any, any harm. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's not, it's not. you know, the way
0: sometimes the Indian cops can be a bit well. They, that's
3: what happened, yeah. They actually brought in a visa and they gave everybody like a month to go down and register. And then you had to go and sit in the police station. So it was you still all, had your passport, did you? you still had the passport. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been in Big some old shape. green <laughs> yeah. Irish passport. Oh, yeah. You could get twelve people of, on made it. Made of
0: cardboard. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> so you you had to go down into the police station and sit and give an account to yourself.
0: Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. So the old to, Raj
3: to this flat cap policeman. Yeah, with a and stick. We went down on the last day, so All all the reprobates. All the people that had been in India for years and you been on know, space out turned up on the last day and had to give an account and there was one bloke, an English junkie guy whose claim to fame was that he'd sold smack to John Lennon because he knew one of the gorillas out of the 2001 <laughs> space odyssey <out. laughs> Gabe was his name he'd filled out on his formula like he was a waiter I mean the state of the guy, his arms were like colanders you know He's waiting for more drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he he'd come out to India in 1967 or something like that. I remember the policeman saying, along, what happened to you? Look, like, what?" And he said, "Well, I was working in a restaurant and they made it self-service, so I came to India. <laughs> so bang, four weeks you out, go. go. So we had to do I had to do a bit of changing around of extending my visa and stuff.
0: Did you get involved in harder? Drugs like heroin and stuff like that. What actually happened was,
3: it was all uh, hippy-dippy rainbow colours. And then the Russians invaded Afghanistan. And there was an epidemic of smack, hard drugs. It was just everywhere. Not just with the hippies, but with Indian people who didn't know what it was, basically. And it was like everywhere. And everybody was into it. It was just like this ridiculous kind of spin-off of the Russian invasion. And that's what's going on now today. That's what pays for the bullets. Yeah.
0: Rocket launchers, mm-hmm. all that.
3: So, so was did, there, there was there. Was a did you set, get stuck
0: into it at all? Though? I did, yeah. yeah. And, was and it, I didn't well, you didn't that. know what
3: it was. Well... But well, I mean,
0: how bad it... Or, yeah, yeah,
3: I didn't realise what a shit drug it was. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you don't need anything with that. You don't need friends. You don't need to eat. You yeah. don't even need to go for a shit. You yeah. don't need a girlfriend. <laughs> none of it. All that you need is that. So I'd, I'd highly recommend it for anybody who gets to 80... I'm sort of feeling a bit creaky. Why not? Yeah, yeah. you should be able to get out to chemistry.
0: And what about um, hallucinogens? Did you see any psilocybin or any that sort of stuff when you were out there?
3: Yeah, they used to in the monsoon; it would grow. Yeah, you'd go out and find uh, psilocybin and be growing. Which is coming back now, right?
0: Yeah. What What's your view on that? Because you're you're you and I are atheists, but there is this dimension that you see because I tried changa and stuff Mm. like that, and you know, there's something going on. There is. It's just in your brain, clearly. Okay, but like. Do you, have any, do you think there's a metaphysical universe?
3: I think there's parallel universes. And I mean, right. at, at this stage, the maths is starting to add up it that is. there is actually an infinite number of parallel universes. Yeah. I think when you take uh, psychotropic drugs, like especially DMT, which is like the granddaddy of all the, the loose midgets, mm. it lifts that veil that allows you to see into these parallel universes. Mm. Reality we exist in is so tiny. In comparison to what's out there, working on a quantum level, I think there's something inside us that's so small that is eternal, and uh, right. whether that's eternally in darkness when we die or eternally moving beyond the speed of light to another dimension, uh, psychedelics really allow you to peer into that world. Yeah, it's all going on in your mind, but isn't everything? I mean, there is so much inside ourselves that we don't know mm. about. We're too busy. With trivia to actually nurture and expand a lot of our potential, I feel. I think one of the strongest uh, feelings of being Irish I ever had was I came back and I went feral. I was eating wild food and camping wild, living out around Sligo. And Leitrim, actually. And, <laughs> Sorry, Leitrim, uh, you're getting a bit
0: of a going over there. Yeah, yeah, and Wicklow. And, yeah.
3: and I teamed up with this guy, Jimmy Bergen, and we travelled off-road, basically. Right. We, In walk, Ireland? Yeah, we'd walk across fields. But so and, first of all, when you got home, what did your mum say to you? Well, she's, she's long dead. but My dad was there, he'd be, he'd be watching the, the horse racing, sucking on his pipe. He was very always very good, very understanding. Yeah. Realised I was on some kind of mission to find my place
0: in the world and did, they, did he want to know all but the he, stories but he was he was baffled and your mates did they go And did you come home all dreaded and, oh yeah. yeah come home so like, they thought you'd gone mad yeah
3: they were baffled yeah Actually, It was oscillating on a different frequency altogether and then yeah, in your was, own
0: mind though you were you I were, loved it I mean yeah. it was so but no, free you were, you were like you were yeah. fucking all there and you it knew a, yeah.
3: very much clarity there about didn't really want to be part of society at that time and I wanted to be f- as free from it as possible. And I'd do anything to make that so, you know. We were walking around Ireland basically in flip flops again. You know, That's chilly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Camping out. And we found some amazing places. And then we ended up going up to Newgrange Mate. midwinter with a journalist called Kevin O'Connor. So, Newgrange, like the, as you know, the sun comes in. Yeah, the oratory, yeah. Yeah, you know, once once a year, like a yeah. midwinter,
0: if the sun comes up yeah. that day, yeah.
3: And it was a lovely morning, like it was clear. There's right. so like a twenty five year waiting list.
0: This is a um, new grange, It's a Neolithic uh, tomb. I think it dates back. It's pre
3: pyramids in Egypt. Pre pyramids, so it's, so it's five thousand years. And it's still
0: very well protected. And there's a really n- narrow entranceway that goes for about hundred meters or something, and then into a sort of a sort of a an area in the middle of the hill, and once a year it was Druid times, the sun would just shine and light up the interior of this archery so that's where he was going. And only a few people can sit in there at any one time, which is the waiting list that Pete's referred to. It was, yeah. yeah,
3: 25 year waiting list. And there, there was a big sergeant at the gate from Drophida, and there was like no chance of getting in. So we went around the side, climbed up a tree, and hopped over the fence. All the time, the sun is just starting to break the horizon, it's just the deadline is mm. getting closer and closer. So we ran towards the entrance of, of Newgrange with this big sergeant <laughs> from Drogheda. It's like Father Ted. <laughs> and uh, we, the sun is just coming up, just coming up, and we're ahead of the sergeant, and yeah. we get in. We run in. There's film and from Morty, all the archaeologists, all that. And next of yeah. all, there's like, the sun is just
0: about to burst. She's like dressed like tramps. Yeah. yeah. flip flops so, and everything. Yeah, yeah
3: psychedelic <laughs> tramps. Yeah. And next of all, there's the shadow of the sergeant. And everybody starts shouting, like, will you get in there quick? He came running in. He grabbed me by the scruff of the neck. And then suddenly the sun came up and shone in, like, into the depths of the earth. In this golden triangle that yeah. you could actually see moving across. It not in a nationalistic way, but it gave me this tremendous connection to being Irish, ancient, like mm. pre-Christian. That kind of uh,
0: intelligence was there.
3: Yeah, that, that like uh, Irish people are very spiritual, so yeah. it was a very really kind of Celtic.
0: The whole room just got quiet and go. Jaws everybody dropped was to the just floor.
3: Absolutely, gobsmacked. And the sergeant, everybody told him to shut up. You know, so he. Quietly, sort of stood against yeah. the wall and watched this. He wasn't going to get in either. At the end of it, like, when it was all over, this <laughs> sergeant came over and says, Go on, no lads, g- and, and thanks for that. I- I've never seen that in my life. <laughs> so he was delighted. Was it astonishing? It was. And the astonishing thing about The maths behind it as well is interesting. How, how rootsy it felt yeah. and how connected I felt to the earth because yeah. of it. It was incredible. The maths is amazing. Especially
0: um, because well we don't know what the weather was like back then but one assumes given climate studies that the weather in Ireland wouldn't have been that drastically yeah, different so every it. other year it would oh, be fucking overcast really <laughs> there would be yeah. no sun you yeah. know so they've they they, they they've worked it out yeah. irrespective of, of seeing the sun actually yeah. they know the sun is going to hit there yeah. at a certain time alright let's play a second track what are you going to yeah, play for us play,
3: it seems fitting to play uh, another track i just finished recording it it's called the Winter Song, huh. and it's all
0: about winter's gloom and so. Didn't we organise that very well? <laughs> <And I> sits <laughs> sit up. Okay, the Winter Sun or Song? Winter Song. Here it is.
5: I love the winter and the charcoal gloom when darkness comes and fills the room. So bad.
2: Never, ever, ever, never turn my back a moment away from you.
0: winter song by pete dunn okay so you came back on that visit did you then go like yeah you, you did you realize there. i am now so unable to fit in here i have to go back or, i just or, wasn't
3: bothered at that stage it was right. just like yeah. what age were you now oh, that would have been yeah heading towards 30 yeah you yeah. traveled around india did another three years myself and jimmy traveling did around. you ever have
0: rows or fights or no
3: it got on very well yeah um, where is he a, now he's living down in Spain he's okay. a fantastic you've definitely listen listening to this heavy man yeah we travelled around we moved like a sadhu like a holy man out there yeah. apart from we weren't that holy but yeah. we travelled around with very little and just instruments
0: what were some of the highlights of that or any stories Oh, there had? was
3: some amazing times when you just there'd be a moment when everything would just be still and you'd be by a river and you'd you'd hear like an angelic choir in the, in the movement of the water and the sun would be going down and it would be a tingle in the air. So it was a lot, lot of time like that and mm-hmm. a lot of time when you'd be in absolute dire need and you'd just kind of put your faith in what you were doing and something would turn up always.
0: always. Food or shelter? Or- Food,
3: shelter, whatever you needed. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like surrender yourself to the universe basically and yeah. if you're doing the right thing well then the universe would kind of look after you. I know all that sounds very spacey but it does actually work. Like as Einstein said, everything everything vibrates. If you want something, you've just got to vibrate. It's not spirituality,
0: it's physics. You've mm. just got to vibrate on the same frequency. You know? Was there a line in the sound when you got back came back? Like did you ever want to have a family or anything like that? Or what was your Um, not really. I mean most of the girls around Rain's End when I grew up were like
3: fucking mingers. <laughs> And, um, oh, no, no. I, I never. That's Daniel. No, I, not, I, <laughs> I, I hear it's all changed and it's all lovely. <laughs> but um, no, it was just like there's got to be more to life than routine, you know? I, I was never that interested in, in what the crowd do.
0: And pleasures of the flesh clearly were not your thing either, right? Um,
3: yeah. Y- yeah, I mean, I, th- that was all about the change when we got back here. I came back with Jimmy and we started up a band called PTA which stood for uh, it stood for a lot of things but we were like an acoustic punk band mm-hmm. and we were camping out in the Bog of Allen we were like hipsies the travellers mm-hmm. used to call us we were like hippie hippie gypsies Siphon Diesel and we'd go we'd go into the gigs and, on a horse and cart you couldn't be done for drink driving how did you way. get on with
0: the travelling community
3: yeah they were grand they'd call yeah. around for sure you d- you do get people who, who are just out to cause trouble but most of them are. Very honourable people, especially the, the travellers that kept horses. They seem to have a, quite an honourable code about them, but
0: they're living on the outside of society. Yes, then, yeah, that's know? why I asked. Yeah, but mm. like the so we're talking Ireland in the eighties. In the so eighties, the so there's like, but there's roving bands of fucking gurriers yeah. wanting <laughs> was, to just beat people up yeah. for no reason, right? Yeah. Which I'm sure you would have been in. Like. Oh, man. in fact, we were doing this like acoustic punk outfit. And we
3: went to Ballinus slow Horseware and we set all the gear up. We had a generator and stuff. We set it up on the, the back of a flatbed lorry at about two in the morning. Next of all, there was the, the McGinley girls. They were like troublemakers. They'd provoke people. Oh, Lord. And then the lads is seem...
0: you look at... You bumped into yeah. her or whatever, yeah.
3: So they came around about two o'clock in the morning we were doing them. Like, we were doing kind of new order covers and stuff. And they started banging the... The flatbed with, with big iron bar, saying, "Play a fucking waltz." So I mean, there's only one thing you can do. Play it. the waltz.
0: Play the fucking waltz. <laughs> it's,
3: it's, 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 we were, I think we played that the same waltz yeah. until about half hour in the morning. Board pneumonia. <laughs> was, what does
0: PTA stand for?
3: It was public toilet aroma. And then Glad after a while, we had it. a band meeting and said, "Look, we're not going to get anywhere." Parent and, um, Teacher Association, yeah, prevention stuff. of terrorism, prevention of terrorism, act, yeah. But we had a man meeting and decided that we were not actually going to get anywhere called that, so we changed it to uh, pubic two pay Roma. Yeah, that's much
0: better. And that was yeah, it was and, a good career. And that is <laughs> the turning point. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> and the re- yeah, Madison. So then you played Madison Square Gardens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so you so you're back in Ireland in the 80s and not fitting in right yeah probably missing the world
3: yeah Ireland well, wasn't no, any
0: cr- was it, it wasn't st- I mean still island. beautiful countryside and all that and you can get it right was, into yeah, nature we're still yeah. under
3: the yoke of the Catholic Church and gay born fucking you know yeah. people like that Danny Murphy and all, all that stuff really repulsive yes we didn't really have much it's to there's just do a
0: sanctimoniousness yeah. about so much of the I I they have this show called Reason in the Years have you ever picked it oh, up yeah yeah. it's on YouTube it, yeah. you should get on it's right. yeah. but like you just go what the yeah. fuck yeah. it was, it was naive, and, naive and yet sanctimonious yeah. and up itself and and then all this evil was going on yeah all York, like across the board yeah. and families yeah. and churches and industry and rubbed under the tape brushed yeah. under the carpet yeah. yeah awful
3: it's fucked
0: up you kind of knew it was yeah. kind of fucked up. Teachers yeah. beating kids mm-hmm. and all that. The good clergy. old days.
3: Yeah. <laughs> all the clergy. That's why I say they should have a property confiscated. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ill got yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Jesus, you go to the Vatican. <laughs> Jesus, sorry. I took the Lord's name in vain for Blasphemy. You go to the Vatican and see it. The, the, my first impression of the Vatican was what the f-? Like just the, the, the splendour and the. Yeah the gold and the you know the money that was yeah. put into the that pumps. thousands of years ago yeah. just to... You know. yeah. Oh, yeah, there definitely is a God. Yeah, right, whatever. It's definitely not a Catholic one.
3: Huh? What happened then? I was, yeah, we gigged around Ireland quite a bit. We used to get free drinks, so it ended up a bit shaky sort of by the time the summer was over. And then we, we moved down to Spain. Uh, we teamed up with guy called Gary from 2000DS mm. which is a trash punk outfit and we basically siphoned our way around Europe from Buskin and making yeah. do and then we eventually came back to London and formed a band called the Seven Kevins. So Tell me where that name came from. My, point point was, name my first Kevin. cousin is called Kevin yeah. in his house. Um, We were looking for a name for ages it's not, it's not an easy task it's yeah. quite difficult. Yeah. We used to rehearse in the front room downstairs in this squat in Cambo. the guy upstairs he was always banging on the ceiling t- telling us to shut up his name was Kevin so we called ourselves that just to wind him up really, <laughs> really? <laughs> the name stuck <laughs> They're like, you're not calling <laughs> yourself that you're not he call was, yourself that he, he was slightly kind of he was disgruntled but he yeah. was pleased as yeah. well I think
0: yeah The Seven Kevins is a is a sort of a punk outfit that's your and well, now, we, you, now you're we, a musician we, but, is, that, is that what you felt you were or is it like, yeah you know? we, i mean, we were all still learning a
3: graph but we were a trash psychedelic trad band right. there was two fiddles that okay. used to go racing off and we did very well and what did you play what did you I was playing drums and I used to sing as right. well we were doing very well we are getting gigs we were getting places and all that and then the rave scene kicked in and mm. nobody was interested in a live band so we moved over to Europe and we toured around we did lots of gigs all up and down we lived on a bus just went from gig to gig and yeah good it was it. great it yeah. was great so you talk about not interested in what was it the flesh
0: yeah sins of the flesh sins oh, yeah. of the flesh now, now you have that was, well, that was deliberately just, ironic. Yeah, that was <laughs> priest yeah, like yeah how was your holy purity Peter well,
3: it wasn't very good actually <laughs> Because so uh,
0: it was a groupy culture there was,
3: yeah, it was yeah I mean it was grand it was, especially in Germany I loved it there Berlin yeah, Berlin yeah the, Berlin was much better when the wall was up yeah So there was a an edge yeah. intrigue yeah. And, yeah, yeah that's when the, the sword Underbelly was when the wall was up we went there just after the wall came down and you'd be driving along in, in West Germany and be like all singing all dancing the whole place lit up like a battleship and then suddenly the road would get really bad and the streetlights would be really dim and you'd mm-hmm. drive past shops that would have like canopies and a cardigan in it. And it was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're in the east now, you know. yeah. yeah. Again,
0: a, you know, your comment earlier about the, the sort of nicotine. That's brown sepia. Brown sepia is there stink. right out of, the, yeah. out of those shit fucking it, lights yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah, Eastern Europe, yeah.
3: Just looking around and thinking that because some bloke wrote a book a hundred years ago. Because of that, everybody had to get, be miserable for yeah. 70 years
0: or whatever. And even that today, you know, like when you, when you start saying, you know, we've got to build more social you've got to look after people, you've got to, you go, know, well, what do you want, Marxism? And it's not, you know, it's we not, don't, no, no, we don't, don't want no. that. We, it's not like, it's not an either it's, or situation yeah, here, you know? It's, it's like
3: basically readjust the imbalance in, in yeah. wealth and inequality. I mean, personally, myself, I think there should be a maximum wage. It's obscene that some of the people, what the money they're making, and to make it sustainable, yeah. I mean, it's not fucking particle physics. Yeah. No. If you turn your home into a dump, it's going to be uninhabitable, and
0: that's what we're doing.
3: Yeah. You know,
0: well, I, I, it's I, I, not I, like I want to get the little red book out and no, exactly. so exactly. And, and yet, yeah, that's the big thing that gets thrown back. Yeah. By the way, did you read Shantaram? I did. Yeah, yeah. you remind me of Shantaram yeah. a little bit. Yeah. You must have gone. This is boring. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, laughs> <it's> long <light-way>. <laughs> <light-way. Yeah. laughs> Sorry say've <laughs> no, go I'm going back to that the, the, the whole thing of like I keep going banging on about the Scandinavian countries, and I've been to mm. Norway. did you get up that up yeah, that? You, far? You, right? Yeah, they pay a lot of tax up there, but everyone pays it yeah. because the people they're paying it to are doing a good job by see, and large yeah. with it. yeah but they've really progressive education systems yeah. up there, prison systems up yeah. there, like people aren't treated like you know yeah. housing and, and inter- multiculturalism. and it's not about like you know as my father said to me once, what do you want? You know, if we give all our stuff away, then we'll just be sitting here eating a bowl of rice. And I'm going, no, we fucking won't. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. This whole idea it's, of... That's,
3: that's what the neoliberals do. Yes, just, they yeah. They just take it fuck, to an extreme. They extent. gaslight the thing, yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, just see the campaign about Jeremy Corbyn being a racist. Yeah. It's like, hang on a minute. The guy's fought racism all his life. Yeah, like, yeah well, I agree, yeah. You know, and the very people who were accusing him were the ones who were saying, string Nelson Mandela oh. So that, that's what they do that a lot, the neocons. If they haven't got anything to back up
0: their agenda, they just make it up and
3: that's become acceptable.
0: I actually believe that if the wealthy, and I don't mean taking the money off the wealthy, I don't mean saying, you know, you can't live in a... You can fucking make a billion dollars and stick it in your ears for all I care. But you have to pay the appropriate amount of tax on that billion dollars. Yeah. And what's happening is they're hiring banks of people to make themselves avoid paying tax well don't hire banks of people oh I'm going giving back no you're not just, just pay the fucking tax yeah. that's due on your yeah. billion dollars and by the way that would probably solve every problem yeah. we have because yeah. the amount of money that's going into the exchequer they'd be able to fix things like the NHS or the Irish health system with that money and okay a couple of fancy damn lawyers and, and corrupt and unethical accountants might lose their jobs all right, yeah. well, at least we'll be able to give them a home if they don't. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> all, it all really needs yeah. to be rejigged. And they can there. make billions. And have your yacht and your yeah. speedboat and your fucking Porsche yeah. just pay the amount of taxes yeah. you're owed. And I think I, I think that would solve it if we could. Uh, and, well, just no loopholes. Yeah. Well, there, you'll never get no loopholes well if there's a loophole it's like whack-a-mole well yeah. that loophole's no yeah. longer in existence and eventually there will be no loopholes yeah. you know oh some of the rich people might leave Ireland. Bono wants to go and live in Holland fine let him go and live in Holland who That's fucking great. cares it's a great bit of news is <laughs> exactly yeah. so the Seven Kevins that went, that went that well that was great yeah it was great did you make we, money then were you starting to make some money did we fuck <laughs> no, no. no. You, you were a band a collective that were fucking cool with the way you were oh it was great yeah. we
3: actually got Picked up by the Mutoid Waste Company. Yeah. Who were putting on big warehouse parties. Like the first one I went to, I thought, how the fuck are they getting away with this? Yeah. So we became oh. something like the, the house band for them. This would plays like
0: Bermondsey and stuff like that, would it? No, but no.
3: like some of them were like right in the middle of town. Yeah. King's Cross, really outrageous. It was like thousands and thousands of people hmm. all steaming into this squatter yard full of really sharp, metallic sculptures. Okay. Health and yeah. safety issues. Yeah, there was absolutely <laughs> yeah. none. like. That. So we used to do a lot of their parties and it was mm. just as, as Acid House was kicking off. They, in turn, they got ru- run out of... They moved to Berlin because the hysteria, the media whipped up this anti-acid house. All the kids taking acid and loving each other. They right. weren't having it. Taking ecstasy and dying and posters of... About, Lee Betts who died of an ecstasy overdose. I found out later that they were sponsored by the brewing industry. Because none of the kids were, were drinking. That's why they brought in alcohol yeah. pops. Yeah. Was know. to get the kids back on, on the sauce. But well, they
0: started banning water at them, remember? Yeah. Because everyone's so dehydrated because yeah. they they're dancing all the time. It was
3: great. I mean, the vibe was just so good at those games. Yeah. London has become very corporate. You know, a lot of the underground scene has been dissipated a lot of it's moved down to places like Margate, and where, again where the rent is cheap. Dilapidated. You know in 10 years that would be the place to live. In 10 years they'll
0: live to Northern Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leitrim. Leitrim. <laughs> oh boy. We this love Leitrim. This is the Leitrim podcast. <laughs> Drum shambo gin coming right up. Um. So and then the art starts is it? Um. Yeah. I mean
3: the Kevin's ground to a halt in the mid 90s and then I'd always painted. I'd always been spray can artist mm. and then I seriously got into it I went to Australia and just locked myself in a room and painted where'd you go in Australia went to Lismore up near Barnaby yeah yeah, yeah.
0: yeah you're a vibe there
3: I, yeah I've just been painting ever since did you like Australia yeah I did yeah. I liked it yeah. I liked the landscape a lot of there was a lot of kind of white supremism as well.
0: Yeah, well, the further north yeah, that, was, that Brisbane coast, yeah. it gets more and yeah. more racist. And so, really yeah, I came back
3: terror. and, yeah, have been involved in the street art and been painting ever since. And
0: so, um, pizza art is available to buy on petedon.net That's it, yeah. I had a look at it last night. There's some amazing work. What you do is you try and jolt people with some of your image, imagery. Well, yeah, there. it's
3: just kind of trying to be honest the style of art that I do really gives me a voice so I don't
0: feel Yeah, you don't need important. to talk about it Yeah, I mean, you've got a very, very wide range Yeah, yeah Talk about the time you gave away art That's, That was a nice time. Oh yeah, about. that was
3: a, that was the best gig ever that was Shortly after the financial crash I couldn't yeah. believe the banks getting bailed out and really taking the piss like especially in Ireland mm-hmm. when they put people's grandchildren into debt I thought the opposite to Greed is generosity. So I thought I'd do 300 paintings and give them away. So I got a slot down with the vicar. He, he has a church down right opposite Deutsche Bank in the yeah. city of London. I was telling the vicar that, you know, there's a lot of greed and he was right into it. He was kind of a hip young vicar yeah. type. What Jesus yeah. would have done. Yeah. Still fucking delusional, but yeah, 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 he was into it. Oh, so look, there's
0: some good religious people. Yeah, there, yeah. Um, First against the wall would be the bankers, not the bankers <laughs> well, yeah, That's, that's why he, he lent yeah. me a wall actually <laughs> yeah. along the side
3: yeah. of the church. And then I had the, the lobby of the church where people could come in. And I did three hundred p- paintings, spray paints, all taking the piss out of the banks and gave them away to people. And of course none of the bankers would come in. There was a guy who'd taken over Barclays and I, I painted him given the signs. Yeah. And there was one banker walking past and he said, "Is that Bob Diamond?" I was going, "Yeah." He's saying, "He's a legend." You know, he, he did just didn't get.
0: He couldn't work it. Yeah,
3: he, he's a legend. I said, "Why do not you going and get one?" I'm giving them away. He said, You're giving them away. I said, "Yeah." He said, "No such thing as a free lunch, buddy," and walked off. <laughs> so none of the bankers came, and it was all the people who. Yeah, no, thought I thought there's a shifted. video of
0: it. I linked the video to the podcast, which oh, is a. Uh, it was a joyous thing. Yeah,
3: it was a really good gig. And then Deutsche Bank called the riot police. So there's a couple of vans pulled up. They said, like, what are you doing? So I explained the whole concept to them. And they were kind of baffled to begin with. And then said to me, good on your mate. And drove off, beeping their horn. So that was a great moment. Yeah.
0: But yeah, that was, a, that was a really good gig, that one. And where do you stand on Banksy? Because you've done a rip-off of Banksy throwing money Yeah, away. that's, I mean that's pretty much the circus
3: around the bank. See, I think he's he's a really important artist and he's opened up the whole street art scene for so many people and earlier this
0: year he did that fabulous stunt where he shredded his paintings I know it's just brilliant I yeah, mean
3: yeah. the whole art world is uh, comparing that to Marcel Duchamp's yeah, Urino it is, yeah, it's very as a seminal yeah, moment
0: yeah. whereas like, curiously the guy who paid the 1.2 he's, he's in the money now area. yeah he's yeah. worth more because yeah. I think it broke. He, he, yeah, yeah. It was meant to be just all in pieces, yeah, but yeah. now this—it's actually more interesting than because it's it half, it's half great, shredded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: But the, the, the whole art world is—is—is is, is, is just has total respect for Banksy, even though he took the piss big time out mm. of the art world. Mm. Whereas Damien Hirst avoided the whole art world by auctioning his yeah. his work at the auction. He saved twenty percent on gallery fees, and he, he sold one hundred and ten million quid's worth of work. It was two days before the financial crash. and It was yeah. perfect. on. Oh, yeah. But because of that, the whole art world has set out to discredit him. And now his stocks have, have halved. Really? That because, that. because the art world has gone, fuck you, mate. Whereas with banks, they're all gone wicked.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're all gone great. So, yeah. Where do you see the world in 20 years?
3: I think it's just going to get worse. The environment needs... That whole issue needs to be put on a war footing. They're telling people, oh, you've got to recycle your fucking coffee cups. It's like, no, you've got to stop making that shit now. There's got to be a huge shift in consciousness, global consciousness. Greed is not good.
0: What brings... What's going to bring that on?
3: Desperation. Civil unrest. I think it's it's, it's time that we, we stopped obeying... Obeying these psychopaths because... Yeah. They're trashing it, spoiling it, not just for us, but for every living thing that has taken millions of years to evolve. You look at photos of of the Earth from space, photos that NASA publishes, you know, from Mm. 50 million miles away from. And it's this incredible, fertile blue oasis in a vast sea of nothingness. And we've been given that as a gift. And what do we do? Trash it turning into a dump and it's just it's so wrong on every level that we need to basically tell these people who are responsible to fuck right off and sort it out. On that note I'd like to go out with the, with the last song which is, which is called Whacked. And I've been living down in Brixton now for the last 20 years or so and you see it on Saturday night everybody is just completely whacked on one thing or another so yeah last song is called whacked
0: thank you so much for being my podcast
3: oh great pleasure
4: Babies on the scene for duper log i got a hungry mouth to feed Mama's poppin' high, people's pills like crazy, all the kids they're smoking weed. Everybody's getting whacked on something, something that makes them feel good. Everybody's getting whacked on something, everybody in my neighborhood.